Welcome to Catagogues and Noise again. Today we're going to look at Wandering Rocks, the uh, first of the second half of Ulysses. My name is Joe. I'm here with Josh. Tom. Dave. All right, guys. Um, Wandering Rocks is pretty good. It's uh, it's fun. So I want to start with this. Um, I think it was in it was in either an Elman or Gilbert. It's Gilbert, right? Um, they talked about. I think it was Elman. They talked about the idea that. Uh, that this is kind of, we, we've gone to the other side of the mirror in a sense, right? Uh, to use a Lewis Carroll kind of uh, metaphor. But this, the rest of the, the book, the second half, is kind of a mirror image of the first. So Joyce has played with this notion before of kind of pairing chapters. So he suggests that this is kind of in some ways paired with Skill and Caribsis, which we just read. He doesn't really say too much more about it, so I've been thinking about that a little. So I kind of wanted to start with my, my ideas on it. Uh, I kind of wrote this down, right? So if they're mirror images, what Skill and Charybdis means to do is kind of explicate nonsense, right? You get Stephen with his his Hamlet, you know, theory that we're not supposed to take all that seriously, but treated very seriously. This is the other side of that where we are, I think, um, how do I say this? We're obfuscating to demonstrate reality. You buying that? I don't know that I buy. I mean, <laughs> of I know it's it's in uh, it's in Elman's uh, Ulysses on the Liffey. I think that he I think talking right, about yeah. that right, like that yeah. skill in Charybdis is all about Stephen, you know, creating his his literary theory, you know, basically using Christianity to create the ultimate metaphor for art and whatnot. But it, you know, it, that's that's all well and good. But what about the actual concrete reality of it as seen in the next bit? Right, and then he talks. Right. right, is it is it the I'm same? Is this. it the same chapter that he talks about? You know, the Arist- Aristotle gives way to, to, to Hume, Hume and well, skepticism and things like it's that. It's actually its own chapter, but they're yeah. they're close. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that then that's that's Elman. But um, so you don't buy that? I mean, I, I totally buy. I, I take the religious stuff out of it. Who cares? Right? It, it's it's about you know the kind of process of talking through an idea, as silly as it is, in order to get to a truth. Wandering Rocks seems to be all about shenanigans, but there seems to be a real substance underneath it. So these people's lives, seeming triviality that actually does add up to some sort of more more of an importance than Stephen's highfalutin theory. Yes, and and I would say that is demonstrated through the kind of basic routine of their daily lives, Mm -hmm. particularly in Bloom and Stephen. It's a case across the board, but I see this particularly in Bloom and Stephen. We'll, We'll get there eventually. Well, that's because they're not talking about life, but they're actually living their lives. Mm. Uh, right? Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And also, I guess you could say that they could be paired together because these are the two choices given to Odysseus, right, by Circe, right? You either go through Skill and Charybdis right. or you could risk going through the Wandering Rocks, but that's, that's certain suicide and destruction, so don't do that. Ulysses or Odysseus chooses uh, Skill and Charybdis. Here we're getting the choice because we haven't mentioned this, but this is like the, this is the one episode that doesn't actually have a place it's in not the Odyssey, right? Yeah, I was but it's at least mentioned. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, right. I, I mean, everyone mentions they go to um, what Apollonius of Rhodes and mm. the uh, what Argonautica, mm-hmm. right? To to get this to get the analogous uh, scene for for the uh, for the Ulysses yeah. text. But, I mean, that's huge, right? The idea that he pairs these together alone. He doesn't have to. He could have done this really anywhere. In the sure, but this, uh, so uh, just my, but, my, but, my skepticism... Oh, go ahead. Let, let's not lose this for a second. Isn't that interesting, right, that we take the Joycean analogy and we kind of play it out, 
And now as we enter into the second half of the book, right, it's almost like we're piercing a new kind of membrane between the text, right? And we look at the, the kind of more, let's say, abstract possibilities that the text offers. That is certainly going to be the case over and over again with every chapter stylistically. Right. So why not start as a kind of fiction of the fiction with Wandering Rocks? I'm totally buying it. Yeah, I, yeah no, I, 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 like, I like that. Um, I was just going to say, to me, Wandering Rocks has always stood out by itself. Right, and so I, I'm I'm a little wary to say that it's it's paired precisely with Skill and Charybdis because to me it really does seem like the capstone of the first chapters. Right, Joyce himself refers to everything up through chapter ten, Wandering Rocks, as being the initial style in his letters to people like Sylvia okay. Beach and whatnot. He yeah, talks yeah. about basically get ready because the novel's really going to take off with sure. sirens. Wandering Rocks is the last of the initial oh, style. Really? Oh, it's the last. Of the it. last of it, oh. not the first, and that's that's part of the reason why I've been so reluctant to say, I mean, through the same conversation that we've been having for the past <laughs> several weeks, right? Wandering Rocks, I mean, we saw already with Skill and Charybdis, and you know, the more I thought about it, you had talked last week about how uh, Skill and Charybdis is almost like an overture for what's to come, yeah. and I think I reacted too quickly to say, well, I don't know about overture, but you're, I think you're kind of right about that. And then Wandering Rocks is still, is still very much, <laughs> though, of the same kind of narrative Ideas, but what he's doing, like the arrangement of it, like those sudden shifts in time and place, which are just so unexpected and so bewildering, you know, the first start. I mean, yeah, you're starting to see the change, but I think I really do feel like it feels like an end. I mean, it really feels like an end of one thing moving into the other, as opposed to like the beginning paired exactly with Scylla and Charybdis. It seems like a summation. We now pull out, camera pulls out, looks at Dublin as a whole, and now we are starting to get, like, the really wild stuff with sirens. All right, so I think you're right part of the way there. I mean, it does look forward, and it does look as a kind of microcosmic uh, micro- image of the whole, certainly. It also looks backwards, though, to Dubliners. Yeah. Yes. Right? This is the text that all of a sudden I go like, oh, I remember Joyce of Dubliners in this. Right? Sure. And I'm not just talking about like, you know, dudes walking around the town. I'm talking right the two big themes come back, paralysis mm-hmm. and okay. epiphany, yeah. I think. Well, I, I would say anti-epiphany here, but um those notions are being played with in the same way that Dublin they played in Dubliners. I don't think that has been the case for the first nine chapters, right? He's gotten away from that. Yeah. You're feeling frustrations with virtually Every one of these little episodes, you know, right down. Any of these could be its own de- its own Dubliners yeah. story. Well, I was even thinking that it was almost like Joyce couldn't get away from wanting to write short fiction, you know? Like, he likes that short mode to be working with, and it felt very much like he was just going back. Yeah. So what do you make of the idea that this is like a microcosm? I mean, I, I don't think that's, you know, original in any way, but I don't know why. I don't know what that's supposed to say about um, the book as a whole, right? So there's 18 chapters of Ulysses. You have 19 sections here. I think we are supposed to understand the first 18 are somewhat analogous to the chapters. I don't think directly, but, you know, just in terms of a a kind of general structure. The the 19th being like a coda. Being like a coda, right? Where we see everybody, we see a kind of like general reaction to this central event, and it moves from the individual to the kind of collective in a way, Mm -hmm. right? I'm not sure why. <laughs> yeah. And then also just, you know, pushing back a little bit on that theory that it's the, because, you know, it's definitely 19 sections. You can look at that vice regal cavalcade as being a coda because everyone that was introduced right. for the most well, part. Well, not everyone. Not everyone. Not Bloom. Not, not Bloom Stephen. Yeah. They're noticeably absent. 
Um, but then also, I, I mean, it's, it's, you want to look at it like bookends, right? Because you have economy, right. and then you have, you know, this, you have church and state bookending. So then you right. need it as 19, right? Because then economy himself can be taken out as well. Then you're left with 17 episodes in between, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm a little, right. I, I, I yeah. like the idea of 18 episodes with a coda because then you have the 18 chapters of Ulysses. But there's also reasons to think of them as more unified because if it is 19, then right smack in the middle, you have Bloom. Bloom is chapter 10. Right. He's right in the middle, holding it all together, looking at his you know, pornographic books from Molly. <laughs> right. No, that, that makes a lot of sense. And uh, probably some of this ambiguity is part of the fun, particularly in Wandering Rock, yeah. that is full of ambiguities. Right. And, Mirages, and, illusions, right, obstacles, illusions. as everyone has pointed out, from Gilbert to Elman yeah. to Kenner. Like, you know what I thought of? Like, Hateful Eight. Mm-hmm. Right, like hatefully, part of the fun of Tarantino. Oh, you haven't seen mm-hmm. part of Tarantino's mm-hmm. fun is like, who are the eight? Right, because it's actually like yeah, nine or more. ten, and you're you're trying to play this uh, arithmetic that doesn't add up. I think I have it right. Yeah, and um, and you realize like, well, who cares? Yeah. You know, but I, I'm still tr- <laughs> looking. Right? Who cares? At some point, you're like, who gives out? But it's certainly who, who cares here? I mean, right? I don't know. I don't have a sense of. Why I need a microcosm in this? In this it's moment. the heart. It's the heart of the novel. It's the beating heart of the novel. This is the the blood. Like if you want to go with the right. analogy of the body, this is the blood flowing everywhere. Also, I mean, if you want to just think at the the simple kind of boneheaded level of narrative, it's after lunch now. People are out. You know, people are out. Yeah, Everybody's yeah. out doing their errands, doing their business, and whatnot. You know, Bloom has time to kill. Um, you know, he's. He's just basically putting off, you know, thinking about, you know, the uh, the meeting that Molly's got at four. Boylan is getting ready for his meeting at four. Get the sense that Cy Daedalus is just always going to be wandering aimlessly about the city. You know, Stephen has finished his, uh, he's done his uh, Aquinas and Aristotle. Now he's just wandering aimlessly as well. I mean, it's after lunch. There's yeah, time to kill. But that makes sense to advance a lot of the characters that we know already. But there's a heck of a lot of people that were just, that are just being yeah. thrown out there that for the just first getting, time. For the first time, yeah. and we're really just getting like a, a, a surface look at them. Mm-hmm. So I, for, for me, I, I, I did kind of stumble on like where is this going necessarily? Because I, mm-hmm. I, I really, I, it's one hell of a trick to have you know all 19 of these things locking together, and it, it, it does sort of fit like a big machine, and everybody's a cog of, of, yeah. of this machine, and it's cute how you know you, you throw in the, the they're, they're coming out of the woods and click plucking the, uh, the, the, the twig off the dress or you see the, the, um, the, 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 the throwaway flyer, you know, yeah. drift into the water. Like, all oh, those things are really, really cool. But maybe because I did not get to, you know, Dave and I are kind of venturing yeah. through this, uh, you know, for the first time. I, I don't know where this sort of fits in. I don't it. know that it does. I, I really think the key, again, I don't know what to do with this. It's not about looking forward. It's about reestablishing the past in some way. Right? It, but reestablishing it, what, though? I think the... The place? Dublin itself, and to some degree, kind of the Joycean canon. Like, to kind of like, hey, remember all this? Yeah. This is what it's all about. Well, that's a good <laughs> argument. This is all then, the shit I wrote already. Yeah. No, because think about it. Nothing, everything else up to this point in the Joyce canon is recognizable. Absolutely. And then once you get to Sirens, all bets are off. Well, that might be the thing. Once I, you I get to Cyclops, all bets are off. Like, everything from here. Like, thus far, the reading, you know, has been... You know, apart from the references, the eating reason. Oh my god, I can't speak. The reading has been pretty easy, apart from all the references. Once we get right. out yeah. of Wandering Rocks, I mean, 
it's yeah. <laughs> oh my god, I'm just I'm just looking at the next chapter. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> Sirens is tough. It's fun though. Oh, Sirens is wonderful. Yeah. But yeah, Sirens is one because that is an overture. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, everything there is taken from the, the you'll see. It's it's yeah. It's one of the best. So I, that's why I think it's a it good place for best. summing up right at the heart of the novel. No, I really think there's something in the fact this. that we're getting the character of Dublin. This is the character of Dublin we're meeting now. You know, this yeah. is, you know, and why right. Why do we need uh, Boylan's secretary suddenly introduced? I don't know. Maybe because <laughs> why not? You know, it's, you know, Bo- Boylan's secretary, prov- I mean, if you really want to look at it, Boylan's secretary is what provides the, li- the link to Boylan right. needing to meet Lynch, not Lynch, uh, Lenahan, who he's going to meet in the Ormond Hotel in the next chapter. Uh, why do we need let Ned Lambert in the you know the old uh, the oldest center of religious worship in in Dublin or maybe even in uh, you know Irish Christendom still standing maybe because of that it's the, this is Dublin's story so we're gonna have him there so yep. it's us trying to articulate the mundane in a way right it's, it's us trying to find like merit in just the kind of daily life the daily drudge of a city I mean city, as far as right. like is, this is a tour de force is like you know one hour in a city sure jumping from place to place like that you know characters that we've already met introducing new characters and then of course you've got the Homeric parallel of you're bouncing into things that you're that are unfamiliar to you mm-hmm. that are that seem familiar to you I mean even right down to the names right you've got all these names that are kind of like you know ruses so we get Mr. Bloom's dental the Bloom's windows, dentist I was like right, which is the famous one like Mr. Bloom yeah. dental what the hell is that well yeah. there you know there is a dentist in mm-hmm. Dublin in 1904 who practiced dentistry and it's not the Bloom you thought it was yeah. mm-hmm. I, I, I try to list a couple of them I liked um uh, the kids boiling clothes, not food. Mm-hmm. But then there's a double reversal. Like there actually is food, though. Yeah. Right? There's pea soup. Like things like that. Right? Um, I don't know. There's a couple other ones. Uh, Patty Dignam is it Patty? The kid mm-hmm. Patty? Yeah, kids Patty. Yeah. Patty Dignam in uh, the mirror. You know, mm-hmm. trying to kind of assess who he is. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a kind of uh, false self in that. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. All this kind of mirage play. Yep. Yeah. I think it's all there. Um, no, I'm 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 buying that. I like the. Um, I like the, let's start over, let's establish ourselves, get ourselves composed before we enter chaos. Yeah, and also, yeah. I mean, it is, it is you know, revolutionary, maybe just as an end unto itself, to spend uh, so, so much time sure. with Bloom and Steve and getting to know these characters, and suddenly they're just reduced to other characters in this. Well, but yeah. for the fact that you, you've already had so much experience with Steven, and of course there is that, you know, the Daedalus family apart from the city of Dublin itself, is the predominating force, right? Because you've got, you know, the sisters, you've got Dilly and Simon, you've got Stephen twice. But even so, they are reduced to just other Dubliners. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, if if you look at structurally, right, three Stephen, then you have a bunch of Bloom. Three Stephen? Two Stephen. No, no, I'm talking about the whole book. Oh, you mean the chapters thus far? Uh, A bunch of Bloom, right, five or six. Then you get Skill and Charybdis, and all of a sudden you switch to Steven, Bloom being this kind of like secondary ghostly figure in the background. You go to the next one, they're both ghostly figures. So it's kind of like pulling out farther. It's not as abrupt as it could have been, right? If this went from, say, Leshagonians to this, it would have been maybe a little more jarring. Right. But there is a kind of slow removal of the main characters. Maybe seeing them both together as just other characters in this is, is what, you know, it's... It's striking that you would think the heroes of your your novel would be given much more pride of place, but 
they're not really, except for, I mean, other than Bloom's placement right at the center, which I think is done on purpose. Yeah, that, and, and also the absence of them in the last section. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's well, significant, right? Well, if you've got the, the twin powers of church and state, right, right you know, the, they're, neither one of them are mentioned at the very end. Yes. So when I was, when I'm, Dave and I were talking a little bit about this earlier, what I was getting from that is that they are going where everyone else looks up and salutes, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of goes through the motions of, you know, what what you're taught to be as a Dubliner, to have respect or what. Those two are locked into their own thoughts. They're looking at books. They're, they have imagination Mm -hmm. that goes beyond the kind of customs of, of kind of common you know, actions in, in Dublin. So that indicates to me that they're savable in a way that I think Joyce thinks everyone else is trapped. Yeah, and if you want to think of the, the two bookends as being the clashing rocks themselves, right. I mean, the, the only two that escape them then are Bloom and Stephen. That's the idea. Safe to continue the rest of their voyage. And the crumpled piece of paper. And the crumpled piece of paper. Elijah is coming. Right. So I think that's, I mean, and that does put them as a kind of, through implication, as a heroic kind of center. But you're right, it is not anything like the uh, the epics of yore, I would say. Ah, this is good. This is a good book. <laughs> you don't think so? <laughs> All right, you want to you move through? All right, one more thing before we move through the text. I do want to move through the text today. Right? I, I feel kind of... I feel kind of... Maybe we should... Uh, I feel bad that we haven't been doing it, you know? Like, um... It's just that it's too big and unwieldy, right? By the well, time we get, it's to not that we haven't been doing it. We just didn't do it last chapter. No, no, no. We've been moving away from it a little bit slowly. I think as the chapters get longer and more complicated, it's just I don't, I don't it's just think hard we have. to do. <laughs> ah, whatever. <laughs> One problem is in the beginning, the in, our introduction turns out to be an hour long. It's so a, you exhaust you. You know, we're plucking from yeah. the, the, you know all along. I don't but know. that's because everything's getting more complicated. True. It's hard to articulate it. <clears throat> Maybe for subsequent chapters, we just dive in on page one and work our way forward <laughs> versus doing the hour-long, you know, because then we'll deal with the ideas as they come along fresh we one could at be. a time. All right. Well, I was going to add, a, add another idea. But yeah, no, I don't do know. it. Do you want to say <laughs> that? No, you're going to be... Well, no, I think it's necessary. So how do we understand the kind of interlocking and the problem of, of chronological time, right? So, I mean, these are not... Obviously, they're not chronological. They don't follow one after another. But they're not necessarily overlapping in any kind of easily discernible way. Yeah, I was... And Josh would probably know because you have, like, 15 books on on, on the topic. Does anybody have, like, a huge graphic organ or a map that lays things out? There must be. I've not seen one. To see, like... But, I mean, I I, I get the sense just from, you know even a fast read that we're supposed to understand this, much of this happening simultaneously. Well, of course, right? of course. Yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. I, I mean, you know, if you look at the Gifford book, you know, he's got the maps that shows where everyone is at any given you know, place, but I don't think he's got it based on the time. Yeah. You know? I think he could probably do it, though. Yeah. Well, I mean, Joyce, Joyce himself, yeah. I mean, the, the famous thing with this yeah, is he that had, he had his yeah. stopwatch and he had his ruler and he was making sure yeah. that everyone would be exactly where they could be. Yeah. Then I'm surprised that no one has actually sat down and done I assure you there's a oh, website out there. You couldn't find anything? Uh, uh, just oh, a wow. quick search. You couldn't come up. So. I'd be surprised. So uh, I think one thing we absolutely know, though, is the bookends begin and end. Right, because at the very end you have to have everybody see with the viceroy and mm-hmm. and salute, and in the beginning because of the the very length of the kami section, he has to kind of begin the proceedings. I think, right, because a lot of what we see, 
connected to the Kami thing comes in the second half of, mm-hmm. of that, which is the longest section by far, right? All right, so I guess we're talking about Kami. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I, I feel like the very beginning of Kami has to be the very beginning. Like, yeah. nothing no, is I think earlier than that. That's fine. It's almost like, you know, the, the bicycle race that's simultaneously going on. It begins with Kami pulling out his watch and looking at the time. Like, okay, we're off. Right, yeah. yeah. But I think within within that that framework, it, it's all over the place, right? And so what are we supposed to... That, that speaks to the Homeric thing, right? We're supposed to think, like... You can't trust anything in terms of your, your just general understanding of how to read a book, right? There's, there's pitfalls and rocks that are coming up everywhere. One of those things is how to understand and organize time. Yeah? Sure. Is it that simple? What, can you say that again? Well, so it mirrors the idea of the wandering rocks, which isn't Homeric, actually, or slightly Homeric. But, um, you know, the idea that you have to be cautious as you read. You can't just be a casual reader, Right. It's not allowing you to. Literature up until this point has allowed you just to kind of move through mm. and feel comfort, generally speaking, in the author explicating mm. for you the adventure. Well, Here, at least at least you have to be as active as at the least author. chronologically, right? Or at least with a strong sense of time and place, and that's what gets sundered here, or at least feels like it's sundered. Yeah. And what you have to realize is that there's simultaneity going on that is divorced of place, right? But there's all, and, and there's also the images and the names and right. those problems too. Right. There's sure. also something else that comes up on the first page. It's like the fourth paragraph, paragraph. But the narrative voice also takes a sort of evolution here with Father Comney because there, there's a moment where it actually sounds like he's talking on a phone. Like well, he's uh, supposed to be having a, an engaged discussion with somebody, but it's only occurring in his thoughts. Yeah. And we're filling in the gaps. Well, I think it's actually happening though. What, no, I was going to say, one of the cool things about all 19 of these is that they're not all consistent. They're all yeah. not the same right. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're starting off here with, with something cool. We're, we're, we're hearing his, you say telephone, because you're hearing his external conversation, but you're never hearing the question that's being pitched exactly. at him. So yeah. that's like, but then we don't see that again, no. I don't think, in here. And then no. other times we get, on a couple of occasions, we do get internal thoughts, and then other times we're just getting surface yeah. thoughts. So yep. we're, we're uh, you know. The Simon Daedalus one, particularly, I had to read a couple times to figure out what's going on because right you get him having which recounting a conversation in his head for a big you don't mean daedalus do you mean tom kernan kernan tom kernan is he's the one that the whole time he's recounting a conversation in his head about the small gin yes our boy from grace oh you're right it's not it's not daedalus daedalus is in that one though no he is daedalus is well daedalus i think daedalus shows up as the interruption i think you're right yeah but dave to your point i think so like for example you get the uh right on the first page you know, very well indeed, Father, and you, Father. So that's clearly, you know, Mrs. David Sheehy, MP, speaking to him. Right. And, but your Conby, we don't actually hear what Conby says. You know, he was wonderfully well and dead. He would go, but presumably these are what he's saying, but it's, it's you don't hear his actual voice until he says, good afternoon, Mrs. Sheehy. Yeah, no, it's, right? all, it's right. all narrative. Yeah. It's not dialogue. Yeah, that's an interesting choice. It, it, it's almost like he's cut out the dialogue. Which he, which Joyce loves so much, and he's replaced it with the actual character thinking about what's being said. It has to have you question whether or not the conversation actually happens, because you can leave that thinking like he could have walked away imagining what he would have said had the conversation continued. Mm-hmm. You know, you could technically read it that way. Definitely, I felt like this was an evolution of the narrative that we haven't seen yet. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I think a l- parallel to that, he's also playing with notions of identity, too, right? And yeah. the naming, he goes, the, it begins, the superior and very reverend John Comney, S.J., right? Mm-hmm. And then most of it, he's Father Comney. By the end, he's Don John Comney, yeah. and right, a couple other ones, too, right? So the, but he was doing that in Scylla and Charybdis. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I yeah. agree. Um, but, you know, I think this is particularly... In, you know, interesting in this chapter because you have that kind of morphing sense, mm-hmm. right? Like, like the rocks appear or disappear, yes. you know, given a pathway that, uh, I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's amazing because we're so used to the rhythm of Steve and the rhythm of Bloom, and then suddenly you're thrown into this completely different rhythm of, of Conmy here. Like, each person, like, when you listen to the, the juxtaposition between Tom Kernan, you know, and his thoughts... And then you jump to Stephen right afterwards. Yeah. It's so jarring to be back in Stephen's mind. And yet for yeah, almost yeah, yeah. 19 times, you know, you've got these different conscious or not 19 because with the vice regal procession, you're not in anyone's head. Well, I guess not even with Ned Lambert and, uh, and J.J. Malloy. It's really only a few of the characters, yeah. but even just those few, it's, it's so jarring to be in Conmy's head and then suddenly to be in Steven's head or to be in Tom Kernan's head. So when, yeah, they you're, all, yeah? when you're back to Bloom and Steven, when you get to the middle, it's actually kind of a relief. It's comforting. <laughs> it's cool. and, and Steven's dark here. Well, yeah. except for when Steven's speaking Italian. Then <laughs> you're completely in the dark again. That is a problem. <laughs> But you know, like it's a weird, it's weird to think like some. Of, I think some of the darkest things in this book are in this uh, this chapter. But because I'm in Stephen's mind, I at least feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, I feel like I don't have to figure it out. I can just kind of exist in that space a little bit, which is interesting. Yeah, I don't. You know, there's a lot of interesting contradiction that is happening in kind of a heady level in this chapter. It's pretty pretty impressive. So, comedy's main goal is to he's hooking up uh, Patty Dignam with a scholarship right that's yeah, Patrick Dignam yeah yeah I guess what is the I, father it's Patty but yeah, I mean, they, they yeah. keep referring to him as Patty so I thought it was Aloysius it's Patrick, Patrick Aloysius that Dignam. Okay. that's the that, yeah so um, that's the main kind of uh, yeah the, but pursuit the, here the episode begins and ends with charity missions right, right? right. Vice Regal Calvacade is going to open the Miras Bazaar for the Mercer Hospital I just love the fact that this is all about charity, and you know when the sailor shows up, he doesn't want to give him any money because you know the coin he has yeah. is too big, and and then he begins to think. I love these little details, like in the the third paragraph, I think it is. Father Kami crossed the Mount Joy Square. His thought, but not for long, uh, of, or he thought, but not for long, of soldiers and sailors. You know, the thought just crosses his mind after seeing this horribly wounded man. He thinks, but not for long, you because know, he just wants to think of happy things. Yeah, yeah, Like yeah. when he's on the tram, and he thinks that everyone is too solemn. Right. And, and later we get the kind of image of Catholic imperialism yeah. filtered through him, right? This is certainly a critique of the church and, yeah. you know, the, uh, let's say, the, the leaders that kind of keep these, let's say, less than perfect situations existing in Dublin, right? With rose-tinted glasses. This is the mind that can kind of produce that and keep that that stagnation moving, which is oxymoronic. And and scenes like that juxtaposed with scenes of of Simon Daedalus and his daughters, you know, and a daughter begging for some money. 
you know, you, right. you put that together next to each other, and they but become almost horrific. All they need, all they need, is a little bit of turf. <laughs> this is my favorite passage for Kami on page two twenty one, right, where he sees right. the guy on the turf barge. It was idyllic, and Father Kami reflected on the providence of the Creator, who had made turf to be in bogs where men might dig it out and bring it to town and hamlet to make fires in the houses of poor people. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> Isn't the world wonderful? Yeah. Yeah. Well, he also has the meditation on, on, on the colonial conversion as well. Right. So he has, he has this idealism left and right. So just to go back a little bit to uh, pa- uh, Patrick Dignam. So what struck me about it was how similar it was to Stephen, right? Stephen, who got scholarship, right? Comedy was was kind to Stephen, right? There seems to be some kind of parallel play going on here, right? Again, I, I see, I want to keep going back to this. I, I feel like this is very much wants to bring Dubliners back into this text. And so Portrait, too. Because, and Portrait, too, sure. I mean, Patty Dignam right. or Patrick Dignam, you know, who has the either final episode, if we view the very final right, one right, as a right. coda, or the penultimate one, you know, he his sensibility, though less sublime even than or subtle than Stevens was in Chapter 1 of Portrait, is still similarly detailed. Yeah. Like when he's thinking about his father, when he's thinking exactly. about what is death. I mean, you can't help but think of Stephen's own thoughts on, you know, what, what are things, these big words, you know, trying to grapple with these big words. And the fact that the episode ends with that, if we want to think of the very last one as a coda, and then begins with a very specific reference to portrait, you know, where Kami suddenly finds himself, you know, talk about mirages in time and space. Suddenly we have, you know, Father Kami reading his office, watched a flock of muttoning clouds over wrath coffee. His thin socked ankles were tickled by the stubbo of Klongo's field. He's not in Klongo's, right? He walked there reading in the evening and heard the cries of boys' lines at their play. Young cries in the quiet evening. He was their rector. His reign was mild. That's a flashback to Portrait One, Mm, right? He's no longer the rector of Klongo's. I mean, he hasn't been for, you know, two decades now. And, you know, the, the, the penultimate... You know, section where we have Dignam's meditation on death. I thought of the sisters a lot, mm-hmm. right? That boy looking in the window and trying to puzzle out what death is. What does this mm-hmm. mean for me? You know, I, all of this seems to come flooding back. You yeah. know, and it seems to be very purposeful. Very much I so. Think. Yeah. Again, I think it's a summing up before the flight takes off with the the second half of the book. Yeah. That's why I don't. I see like this book, you know, in halves, but with this being the capstone. Right in the middle. That is a terrible metaphor, but you but don't put a capstone right. in the middle. But you know what I mean? Like it, it, it's, it's, it, it takes up the center, and then from here on, it'll be different. But it's not right in the middle. Skillacryptus is. No, well. no, you can't have a middle in, a, in an even number. Uh, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah. Skillacryptus is as well. They're the middle. Right. They're, I see what you they're mean. locked right. together in some right. way. Which is interesting because oh, Odysseus well. had the choice between the two, right? Right. What do you want to do? You want to look back or do you want to look forward? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Because you were saying that the first half of this text, you're kind of looking backward. Yeah, I don't know. Um, What what else about uh, Father Comney here? Um, He's, I don't know, he's basically, I I like the, um, who does he interact with? Um, He has several interactions, right? The... Well, he first has the interaction with the woman. Right, who? Who is, if, I mean, this, these are real people. These are friends yeah. of Joyce when Joyce is at Belvedere. 
So the funny thing is, if Stephen is Joyce, the question that he asks is preposterous because it shows that perhaps his memory is not so well when he asks, you know, and her boys, were they getting on well at Belvedere? They graduated from Belvedere years ago. So when we get the answer and he says, was that so? Perhaps she said, oh my gosh, they graduated long ago. Oh, was that so? Father Kami was very glad to hear that, which shows that he's kind of doddering as well. Yeah, yeah. But overall, I mean, I think, I think Father Kami comes off as a good man, right? I mean, he's very kind to the boys, yeah. you know. It, it's not like... Um, I think Joyce is, is maligning him at all. Well, he's yeah. maligning him in the sense that he's naive, as, yeah. as Josh was pointing yeah. out. So that so even the best of the best in the church, they're yeah. they're walking around with blinders on because they just they just see yeah. the world the way they want to see it. True. And on page two twenty one, his name's mentioned fourteen times. Like clearly, he thinks well, highly of himself. Oh, I don't know <laughs> that it's that. I think it's yeah. more that. Uh, I think that's more just the kind of the vacuousness of people. Like he salutes the person, they salute him. You know, priests <laughs> yeah. walking down the street, everyone, and then he was saluted. I mean, I, I made a note to myself. Which is very that, similar to the end. Yeah, and you, it's, it's the exact same thing. Right. Although you have much more variety at the end because right. some people don't notice it. Some people do. Some people, you know, ogle the women like blaze oil. <laughs> Everyone salutes Kami, right? And he salutes them. You get to the point where on 221 where he, uh, the, the part where he gets, in Yokstetters, the pork butchers, Father Kami observed pig's puddings, white and black and red, lying neatly curled in tubes. And I, I noted to myself, God, one almost expects him to salute the pork puddings <laughs> and the pork puddings to salute him by that point. But then there's something to that because it might as well, like, it might as well, like the meat or whatnot, because then later on, on page 223... Yeah, when he's thinking of the souls of black and brown and yellow men, you know, that made me immediately go back to when he's looking at the pork puddings, white and black and red, you know, for him, like, it's just basically, you know, just bodies, you know, like, and he's just going through the motions. Yeah, he seems to sum up, like, pretty much the the existence of the universe in a very insouciant way. It seemed to Father (laughs) Conley a pity that they should all be lost, a waste if one might say, I mean, that's the horror. If you think that there is some sort of divine entity that created everybody and you know, a huge chunk of them are not going to be saved. And he just sort of just summed it all up. And like what actually casts him in that light when he sees, uh, Mr. Eugene Stratton, you know, grin with thick and I'll let someone else say, cause I don't want to be ever recorded saying the word. Oh, you're right. Yeah. yeah at father Kami. And, of course, uh, Eugene Stratton shows up only twice in this, greeting Father Conmey from his poster and greeting the Viceregal Cavalcade from the poster. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, what, is, uh, what is DV? Uh, is that a de, Deo Valente, yeah, with okay. God willing. Oh, is that but what there, there is something... Uh, it appears a couple times. Yeah, but it's also, I mean, I think fun is made with all of these, you know, yeah. bizarre... Abri- uh, you know, multiple initials, like, for example, the Reverend T.R. Green, B.A., will speak D.V., you know, or will D.V. speak? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, I lost track looking up, like, what all these, you know, when we get the uh, the Viceroy and all of his abbreviations or initials. Yeah. And the section ends with the, uh, the young couple coming out of the bushes. Yeah, Lynch. Yeah. Oh, is that Lynch? That's Lynch. Yeah, we find that out in Ox in the Sun. Oh, is in Ox in the Sun, he talks about how, oh my God, I ran into Father Conmey, you know, when I was in the bushes with my girl. Of course, it's in Ox in the Sun, so it's not written like that. So you can't read it. (laughs) It's not true. (laughs) I I forget how far the 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 language has evolved when he speaks. Oh, that's pretty. That's interesting. 
right. But I, I like but, that. Like, you know, there's no reaction but just to, to bless him and go on your business. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is, I mean, that is kind of the final greeting, right? Isn't that the final thing he sees? Yeah. Like the two people yeah. that were canoodling in the bushes. So Yeah, Father Comedy blessed both gravely and turned his thin page of his uh, breviary, breviary? Yeah. sin, and then you have the, the Latin, right? Yeah. And that, what is that from? It's a psalm. It's Psalm 119. Psalm, yeah, I think. But, uh, and I, I was always taken aback because Rez, uh, in the paragraph, two paragraphs before, you know, I always thought it was the Latin word, you know, the Latin word for thing, and I had yeah. no idea what it was doing there, but it's a Hebrew letter that, you know, Hebrew letters are used, this hymn apparently is much like Wandering Rocks in that it has, it's episodic. And each one has a heading with a Hebrew letter. So Rez is, you know, a Hebrew letter that heads off that section that he's reading. Sin, which I think we're all supposed to think, mean, oh, Lynch, you know, the, or the girl and the boy, whoever they are right, at this yeah. point. Sin, but it's actually just the Hebrew letter that heads that section oh. of the hymn. Oh, really? That's yeah. creative. Oh. I like that. And then your boy Elman in his uh, <laughs> Ulysses on the river, or on the Liffey, rather, he has a note about how... Each of these two bookends, right, with the commie in the beginning, church, and then uh, the viceroy at the end, state, each have their people that kind of stand up to them, like, and thwart them. So he's got a comment with, you know, running into Lynch, you know, libido thwarts sanctimoniousness. <laughs> and at the end, the last image is uh, Artifani uh, Amidano. Uh, yeah, right, right. It, basically, his ass being shown, you know, as he's getting onto the tram, right. you know. The door closes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that, that's good. At least somebody is, right? <laughs> Thumbing their nose. Um, all right, then we move to the second part. Corny Keller, right? Uh, where does this go? <laughs> I don't know. There's a couple of these that I just can't do anything with. Well, it's, I mean, a, quick, it's a quick little portrait. Like, this is the guy that's yeah. been, um, you know, he's, he's a where police. Where have we seen him before? Well, Hades. He's the, okay. he's, he's, I don't know what... He's like an undertaker, I guess. I mean, he's provided the coffins. I guess we would say he's an undertaker. He's the guy he's that provided the uh, the carriage. He's the guy that they said was super cheap, right? And uh, But he's also a police uh, tout, like a police spy. And so uh, we actually get to see that happening here where the constable comes and they have, you know, what's the best news? You know, and this guy ends, you know, I seen that particular party last evening. You know, Dubliners, you know, stabbing yeah, yeah. each other in the back, selling each other out. We're not supposed to know who they're talking about, though. That's just a so. general idea. Yeah. Um, I thought it was just a kind of like, you know, the blasé nature in the face of death or something that it, it might pair up with, like, you know, the Dignam thing later. I'm not really sure. But... Well, it could be. I mean, yeah. I mean, we have a couple of these really, really short ones. Like, remember, there's yeah. the one where, uh, you know, the... The Artifani guy is mentioned, who is then followed by Cashel, Fitzmaurice, Tisdall, <laughs> whatever, who then runs into the blonde stripling, and yeah. that's over and done with, too. Yeah. And this is the first uh, mention of Molly as well, right? Yeah. The white he, arm from the right. window in Eccles Street flung forth a coin. But we're supposed to I think so. That. Have we? Is that the first time? That, uh, yeah. yeah, it shows up like okay. three or four times. I think it shows up in the next section as well. Yeah, section three is where it's a little more developed, I right. think. Right, yeah. Um... The next section is the one-legged sailor, right? Which yeah. definitely happens later than some of the. Right, we see him again, but it's before this. Well, we we first see him. It's the first interaction that Kami comes. Right? So now he's made progress. He's moved on. Right, but is, don't we see him later? Actually, yeah, we see him a few times. Beginning beginning his song, right? Or yeah. something. Yeah, we see him a few times. For England, <laughs> the way, that, the way yeah. they do it on the recording. 
He's in the Mulligan section. I think they hear him outside or something. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Actually, I don't know. I'm a, it's definitely in the Mulligan section, but yeah, I don't, I don't think they hear him. I think that's one of those interruptions. Oh, it's just an interruption. It, yeah, I think it's just because it, it, it's... See, that's so tricky. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because Mulligan's that conversation sucks. is not at all interrupted. They're talking about Stephen, but for a moment, you think they are talking about the sailor because he talks no, about... No, I don't think they're talking about the sailor, but I just think but, like it's, but, it's an audible thing. Right, but I think you could think they're talking about Stephen because he talks about how like he's, you know, when he's drunk or when he, you know, he's, he's funny mm-hmm. the way he walks, and it seems like they're talking about the sailor. I think that's one of those bluffs that's meant to throw you, okay. throw you as, un, asunder. For another kind of Dubliner's illusion, though... I think, you know, the song for England, Home and Beauty, right, is, I mean, you know, besides Haynes, we really haven't seen that all that much, these kind of like, you know, throwing the bit about England as uh, superior and, you know, culturally well, King, oppressive. King, King Billy's Horse shows King up Billy's again. Horse. And yeah. we Another you know, one. That's like one of the most reviled symbols in Dublin. I, I mean, I think when we talked about it, I said that is, that's a microcosm for all Dubliners, right? That That is the ultimate paralysis. Wait, King we're talking about two different things. Right? Are you Oh wait, no, that is is the horse does go around King Billy's statue, right? right? Okay, my bad. Goes, yeah. my bad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't In the dead. They call him King Billy's yeah. horse. I don't know what his uh I don't think the horse has a name, does it? I don't know. I don't can't remember. But yeah, he shows up here. You know, I don't yeah. know. There, there's something definitely going back to that uh continuously. The fourth section is Katie and Booty. Booty's a a boy or a girl? No, girl. Girl. girl? girl. Yeah, I wasn't. What is Booty short for? I, yeah, I don't know. That is, is that a, is a Christian name, Booty? <laughs> it's a Simon drunk naming his kids. <laughs> it might be. Um, yeah, yeah, and I can't. I love when we get to to Simon. He he definitely gets the asshole of the book. Oh yeah. Oh, he, he's he's awful. But I think you need. I mean, I think it's a very good section. I like the interplay of the Daedalus kids. It's well, fun to see the fact that you see this first before you have Simon exactly. and Dilly. Yeah. Yeah, the fact that they're, and like, one of the girls is, is scraping, literally scraping crumbs from the yeah. table to eat. Yeah. And, and we get the Our Father Who Are Not in Heaven. <laughs> yeah. I love that. Well. That is brilliant, line. right? Because you go, all right, is that a dig at Simon? Is that a dig at, at God? Both. Yeah, it's like all together. Both. It's so fun and playful. It also sets us up for, you know, Stephen and his past glories because, you know, the first question, did you put in the books? You know, did you pawn the books? And then we get to Stephen thinking that when he's at that used book place, you know, my books are probably here, you know, my school prizes. Right. And I think also this is the first time that I have to start really questioning Stephen. Yeah. Right? Because I know what Stephen's doing with his pay today while his his siblings are starving. Well, Stephen, Stephen... You know that's on his conscience yeah, as he, but he does. He's still paralyzed. He doesn't do anything about it. Yeah, right. Like no, he's, he wants to save. He, he justifies. He, he wants. He, he, he shouts a agonet in with. Right? Yeah, that's pretty much on the radio <laughs> recording. It's a shout. Yeah. Here it's just punctuated with yeah. a a, a uh, period. But uh, you know he 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 could save his family from drowning. Like he, I don't know that he can. But he well, he he could at least. Well, I think it's Dilly for his whole family. Although he sees something no, in Dilly. He sees something in Dilly. Something in Dilly that he doesn't see necessarily in the others, but still, Dilly as family, he has a, a kinship there, both you know, biological, you know, by yeah. blood, but also by intellect, but also I think by bond. It's like the only bond he seems to have, and yet 
based on what he's going to do, it seems like he does. He seems like it's another net he's going to fly by, but feel remorse about. So, so let's talk about that now. Since I mean, we can skip around. Doesn't he share? Doesn't he talk about Dilly about his leaving and coming back? Well, so he, she she listened to his stories when he was in Paris, right? You know, or so when he got back. Yeah, it's it's very clear to me, right? I, I don't think I got this until this read that. Dilly is buying a book on French because she wants she wants to, she like, wants to leave she wants Dilly. to leave she wants to be like her brother. Yeah. Dilly's the only one in the family who really has those ambitions, right? right. Or what, that's what we're made to believe. I, I think so. so I thought she she was planning to to jet. That's her, that's why she. Well, was, she probably does secretly want to be like like you're Steven. assuming she's a younger sibling also. So she's a couple years. They are yeah. A couple. Yeah. Oh, is he the he's, oldest. The, he's the oldest? So everybody. So they're a couple years younger. They look up, to, or she right. looks up to him. So yeah, the idea of like wanting to flee, also. Yeah, I mean, just the idea of buying a book. You would think you're hungry. Why are you yeah, buying a book? Yeah, yeah. And then you go, why a French book? Because mm-hmm. my brother speaks French and he's well educated and he's gone to Paris. And then you have the confrontation between them, right? And he tries to hide his money that you know he doesn't want her to know that he's buying books because he's guilty. Uh, she's I, having the same thing. Uh, I don't know about him that. I oh, think, I think, I, think so. I think he's embarrassed because of what he's looking at. I don't think he's actually oh, going really? to buy his love spells. I mean I think I think he's embarrassed that he's possibly taking it somewhat mm. serious more seriously than he he thinks he would otherwise. He's oh. look yeah he's I read at, that differently. I thought he, he you was think Stephen would really be buying a book of of silly love spells? Oh no 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 I, I'm I thought he was a He's going. He's buying a book, right? That he's he doesn't want to be seen as somebody buying a book. Maybe that's what I took it. Maybe as. I I think what, shut book quick. Don't let see. I think I thought that was I thought that's content. basically. I don't want you to see that I'm reading some stupid book on uh, trying to get girls because. Well, oh. I think that's the dominant theme. Is that Stephen <laughs> Stephen's lonely? Yeah. Oh yeah 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 definitely. Well, and I thought it was also the parallel between him and Bloom because Bloom's also looking at a dirty yeah. book also yeah. in this section. But um, I don't think Bloom would slam his shut. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Bloom succumbs to it. Yeah. yeah, he throws him right on the counter, right? Yeah. Um, but that scene when he when he looks at Dilly and he says, "I can't save you, drowning man," yeah. and all of that stuff—that to me is maybe the most harrowing thing in this book. I think I brought it up three or four times, just like you know, looking forward when we talked about yeah. Dubliners. But like, it's not the first time things. we've seen it, right? Like it's, it's similar thoughts came to him in Proteus. They it's, come to him, but there's a difference when there is a kid that is hungry. Okay, in front yeah. Of yeah. yeah, you're right. Yeah, good point. You know what I mean? There's something so visceral about it, and seeing the kind of like mix of shame and pride in both of yeah. them. Right, because and she's doing essentially what he's doing, right. spend, frivolously spending money on a book. Yeah. But also you see another Dubliner, his sister, who was longing to get out. It's someone who's, who's feeling the, yeah. the, the death throes of the city. And notice, I mean, the, again, just speaking to the great arrangement of this particular episode, because we've seen Dilly exactly. beforehand waiting for her father, right? And we're already waiting to see Dilly because remember they ask where is she? Oh, she's out for father. And we've already seen her in Lotus Eaters where she's not mentioned, which made me think, wait a minute. Remember Bloom sees Daedalus's oh, daughter right. yes. outside Wait, the auction him. house. Yeah. That's two hours ago. Right. That means she's been waiting for her father right. for two hours by this point at the auction house. Dilly's the one in there thinking, oh my God, those, those are presumably their curtains that are being auctioned off for nothing. Watching the family's history just disappear, much like Stephen in Portrait, you know, which is another yes, callback yes, yes. to that. Right. And then, you know, again, 
how the kids know their father so well. So for example, you remember Stephen and Proteus mimicking his father's words and then lo and behold in Hades, his father says the exact thing. Remember his father in Hades was making fun of his in-laws, you know, Richie Goulding's family, you know, his wife's family. And then he would say like little Lizzie, the wise child that knows her father. Right. Right. Yeah. And then who really is the wise child that knows her father when when Simon is trying to keep money from her, mm-hmm. she knows he's got money. Like she really is the wise child that knows her father. Yeah. Right. It's like the, that prophecy that he, he keeps saying it jokingly about his in-laws family actually comes true with him. Oh, absolutely. Dilly sees right through him. Yeah. And you know, he calls him an insolent pack of little bitches, oh right? Which, which harkens back to portrait five with, yeah. you know, your bitch of a brother yeah. and all of that. If he, if he thinks that's the appropriate gender, he's got a strange <laughs> understanding of, yeah. you know, whatever his joke is. Right. I mean, Simon is, is dreadful. You know, the idea that she knows exactly what uh, buttons to push to get the money. I know you have something more. She waits. You know what I mean? There's a note where she says um, uh, she looks in his face and she knows. Yeah. Right. Because he's been drinking. Right. Because she can tell by just, you know, the continence that that he's had one or two. Right. There's I mean, there's such tragedy (laughs) and fun in that, you know. There, yeah, there does seem, I mean, so I, I hate to be put in a position to defend Simon, but even, <laughs> even with all the horrific things he says to her, there's no excuse for him as a father. I'm not making right. excuses. There is. But, but there's, there's like a rapport there. Yes. Like, for example, when uh, he says something that sounds just so horrific, beyond the pack of bitches and whatnot, where he says, you know, I'm going to show you a little trick, Mr. Dedalus said. I'll leave you where Jesus left the Jews. <laughs> and then, but later, you know, when... Uh, Yo, she says, can't you look for money somewhere? And he says, yo, I I will. I looked all along the gutter on O'Connell Street. I'll try this one now. And she says, you're very funny, Dilly said, grinning. You get the sense that, like, there's a joke that's shared there. Even still, I mean, that's how how bad things have gotten, but at least they've got that. (laughs) Yeah, it's, um, I mean, he's a charming sociopath, you know, like, (laughs) that's probably overstating it. You know, he's also, like, a horribly diseased person, you know, yeah. with the alcoholism. But it's, um, no, I know what you mean. There is a kind of, I don't know, strange compassion that that Joyce wants to elicit mm-hmm. underneath it. You know what I mean? It, it's, and I, I, again, I think, I mean, we talked about this before. I think when we talked about Portrait, that it would be too easy just to make yeah, him this horrible, can, like, villain, yeah, you know? You can't paint them to be one, like, a, you know, a villain... Outrage. Yeah, pretty so much the compassion. Yeah, that. I think the only character in this whole book who is painted with such a broad brush that he's almost impossible to believe is Blaze's Boylan. But I think we're, I think he's supposed to be like he's like that's yeah that's done on purpose. I mean, the dude is actually walking down the street with a carnation in his mouth. <laughs> yeah. he's, he's awesome though. <laughs> Don't you want to like see that? I, there's not enough of that today. <laughs> All right. Um, so what, what is number five? Number five is Blaze's Boiler, yeah. right? Yeah. That's, um, I, by the way, I love the, uh, the Hellies guys that show up in, in different parts and, uh, you know, walking down the street. I think that's great. Like we were talking about before where it almost seemed as though the, the pigs puddings could possibly become people in Conby's eyes. 
you know, yeah. there's no difference between fruit and girl in this. You know, the yeah. descriptions of, <laughs> yeah, 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 you know, yeah. when, when we have these descriptions of ripe, shamefaced peaches, you know, I'm, I'm not sure which one I should be blushing at. <laughs> yeah. So I, I'm right to assume that this is for Molly. Yeah. yeah right, because I have a question. he's on his way over there. It's almost yeah. four o'clock. Then yeah. why does he say, and I, I know it, everybody says it's, it's for her, but the, the one line towards the bottom, uh, it's for an invalid. Oh. I thought about that. I think it's, it's because he doesn't want the young girl he's talking to to know he has another girlfriend. That's okay. That makes yeah. sense. And right? then uh, outside the narrative, it's true. We never see Molly outside of bed. She's in bed the whole novel, so yeah, it's kind of funny at that level, too. <laughs> that, that's oh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, but yeah, I'm, I'm with Joe on that. He's playing every angle. Right, yeah. Like, you know, it, it, it makes him look, you know, Yeah, like he's, uh... Like charitable. Charitable stuff, know? yeah. He's a jerk-off. <laughs> you know, uh, one thing we haven't talked about is, uh... You know, it's not thematic to this. It's everywhere in Joyce. These wonderful transferred epithets. Like, Molly's got a generous arm when she throws the yeah, money. Yeah, yeah. You know, blazes boiling, rattled, merry money. You know, I, I just... I love those little details. Merry money. Um... Yeah, but I'm right that he's he's heading over there, right? Yeah. I was wondering why is he getting the uh, the basket delivered then? Why not just bring it? Because it's like preparation, right? The basket comes first. It's the little yeah, surprise. Yeah. Is that right? what it is? You gotta like set the mood. <laughs> is that, that's the mood. And then you come walking in or waltzing. Maybe, maybe. And, and that's that's the first. Uh, that's where we get Bloom's interruption too, right? Can you send them by tram now? A dark back figure under Merchant's Arch scan right. books on a hawker's car. You don't know that's Bloom until we actually get to Bloom uh, in section yeah. ten. Yeah, you know what? Um, I, yeah, I figured that was the case though, right? Just because of the the dark clothing. Dark back, yeah. Um, Bloom's literally stalking around this guy's place. No, no, he's looking no. at books. Uh, he, they're just kind of like. You know, it, it's almost just like a little cutaway. Well, it's, it, we see, know, it's to, like all the other cutaways we've seen, yeah. right? It's, every episode here has a cutaway to something else happening simultaneously right. in the Wild Rocks. Gotcha. Which, which makes me, right, Tom's right. There's got to work, right? There's got to be some beautiful, like, like you can map out every second of this and have it work simultaneously. It's right, you got your homework. Technically, no, my God. I got enough homework. Um... <laughs> At the very end, right, he makes a phone call. And that's going to pick up with Section 7. And we seven. see that later on, right? But yeah. before that, we get... Um, uh, Am- Almadani. Almadani. Yeah, I got his name wrong before. <laughs> Artifani. Now, him, I don't have a read on, i got to tell you. Right? Because he's brand new. We, don't, yeah. we haven't seen him at all. I think, right? though, isn't he supposed to be... Ba- he's based on a few things, right? Isn't I don't he know. supposed to be based on Stephen's Italian professor in... Uh, in, in university, but his na- the name that's given to him is the guy that owned the Berlitz School that Joyce taught at when he was in uh, Pola and uh, tr- or Trieste in Pola. So it's kind of a tribute to that guy. It seems like one of the few people in this that Stephen actually has a like a mutual r- relationship that he actually likes the guy, yeah. right? And their conversation seems to be about like, oh man, Stephen, you should have you should have kept up your singing because like there's a musical connection here. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really not all that, you know, exciting what they talk about, right? It's it's pretty commonplace. Yeah, generally well, speaking, as, well, as every other yeah. passage in this, I think. No, but I mean, even even like subtextually, I don't know if there's anything that like. Well, isn't he saying like you should go into music? You yeah. should go into singing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's not that's not nothing. I guess. You know, yeah. he's, he's, well, he sees something in Stephen, like that, uh, yeah, that you're squandering well, your than, talent. That's more than an empty conversation. Oh, maybe, you know? yeah. Uh, well, I, I guess you could also tie that into Simon a little bit, right? It's another indicator of, you're right, Simon, you know, talks about, 
right being a, a kind of singer that never got it off the ground and write posts about that in portrait and things like that. And then like we that. actually get to hear him in sirens yeah. and people and it's beautiful. people listening are just you know, right. they're blown away. Like, oh my God, how <laughs> does that guy still do it? So in a sense, it's about lost potential. Well, so, this, yeah. this, this should be, uh, you know, taken with, with, with his conversation with the sister because this is, this is the way to save everybody. He just needs to get a, a jobby job singing, <laughs> well, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, this is... This is what he puts aside yeah. in order to. I mean, he says, you know, because your voice, you know, would be a source of income. Yeah, right? that's, like, that's like you could actually. That's what I'm key. Um, yeah. Well, he has a source of income that he's just blowing on booze anyway. <laughs> well, this seems to be a better source of income. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Right, he performer could, he could do something. Teacher, but he although, also, he although also, you remember the performance, it, how that could go from a mother, right, in Dublin, yeah. Dubliners, remember yeah. that fiasco. He he also, I mean, so this, I think this book is the, or this episode is the first time we see people talking about Stephen without Stephen being there, right? Am I right on that? Like when we get Mulligan Maybe. and Haynes on Stephen. Yeah. So here you get another Maybe, character yeah. who probably has an opinion that Stephen respects, which is a first, yeah. saying to Stephen, like, look, when I was your age, I thought the world was shit too. I thought the world was yeah. nothing but a beast that would chew you up and spit you out. But basically saying, look, man, it's you're 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 you know it's you're trying to you know think of yourself as a sacrifice, and Stephen kind of brushes off with a joke. But this is the first time I think you got somebody who actually has, you know, like a potential father figure, if you will, trying to talk some sense into Stephen, preparing us for Bloom, perhaps. Yeah. So this is the yeah, this is the fake, the illusion. Yeah, maybe it could be a fake out. Oh, that's interesting. Sense. Yeah, yeah. And, and and we do end with him. I mean, there could be something to that. That like the last thing we see, the last image that we see is this guy getting on the tram. Yeah. And he also turned, uh, this is going back to what you said earlier, Tom, he also turned down a job in Aeolus, right? You know, mm-hmm. uh, they wanted him to write and yeah, be a reporter, the jur- right? So journalism and singing, he has options. Yeah. He, he could probably feed the family for a bit. Yeah. Hmm. All right, now we get to Miss Dunn, who is Blazes Boylan's secretary, mm-hmm. right? Although and, there's a fake out right there right. because you think it's Martha. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I read that in, in one, of, one of the sources, but, yeah, this, well, is it a fake, I think it still could be Martha. Yeah, with an assumed name? Martha Clifford, the uh, Henry <laughs> Flowers' girlfriend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, there's a couple tells, right? Well, uh, the too much mystery business in it. Is he in love with that one, Marion? She mentions Marion. Yeah. You know, but that's but she's of course not the talking. character from The Woman in White. Right, uh, Wilkie a book Collins. I read. Yeah, Wilkie Collins. Yeah, I yeah. read that in a Victorian lit class yeah. at Rutgers. The um, uh, it, it's it's kind. It was like one of the most popular books of yeah. the Victorian era. Yeah, because they kicked off the whole uh, gothic yeah. fiction. Kind of. Yeah, uh, I don't remember too much about That's, uh, it. That's the Moonstone guy, right? Moonstone, yeah. yeah. I remember there was like you know secret doors that people came in, and it was it was like trashy fun. Would but, you um, say that there's uh, too much mystery business in it? I think there might be. As Miss Dunn says. Yeah, so so let's say it, I want it to be Martha Clifford, right? Because you have that great uh, that it, great crisscross, no, right? a little chiasmus for you, Joshy. Right, but right? Then, but then you know her her musing on hope she can get off by six. You know, wonder will that fellow be at the band tonight? I mean, she's got her Boylan is not going to have uh, you know a, a doty typist who's writing you know telegram or responding to newspaper ads, right? Like you know, she's reading I mean? she's reading a, a trashy novel though. Well, I wouldn't say Woman in White's too trashy. Well, it's not very trashy, yeah. but she's literate. Yeah. You know, right. I mean, I think it's the perfect text for some for Martha Clifford to be reading. 
But, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose there's still the possibility, but I think it's a it's, it's a fake. Yeah, game. I don't know, but it, right? Isn't that fun? That like you know, because you got ha- you have to well, imagine that. You then know, you have then you have Stevens. Remember Stevens' musings on Paris? You know, so and so wakes up in his wife's lover's wife's <laughs> yeah, uh, right. house, whatnot. So you're boiling, you know. Romancing uh, Boylan, or you've Bloom romancing Boylan's secretary. Like. <laughs> right, yeah, she also puts the date down on the keyboard. Right, uh, sixteen June, nineteen oh four. I don't think we've seen. I know we know it's June, and we know in nineteen oh four, but I don't think we've known it's the sixteenth yet. It, it was mentioned, I think. I think so. It was mentioned, but not as clearly. Yeah, it was, yeah no, it was spoken. <laughs> this is pretty clear, right? Oh, yeah. Now. yeah, I don't think. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, with now. various events like the uh, the. That awful boat fire that was mentioned earlier in the novel, but shows up twice here, occurred on, uh, I think on June. But I think 4th. they actually said it. Though, yeah, all right, maybe. I, for, I forget where, but we did come across that. Yeah, they did say it. Um, so who is Boylan calling exactly? He's calling her. Oh, he's. Oh, yeah, he's on the phone. To right, her. when She's he when he right says uh, when he talks on the phone in the the exactly. fruit place, he's talking to her. And this sets up Lenahan. Right. Yeah, Lenahan uh, wants to meet him at four because he wants to meet him, and yeah, right. And they're gonna and they're gonna meet at the Orman for sirens. Sirens, yeah, right. That makes sense. Isn't he supposed to be at Molly's at four though? Molly's at four, but Boylan's gonna be late. Right. Yeah. Boylan's taking his time. He shows up at the Orman for a drink. But that has been established. What's that? That it's four o'clock. Four o'clock. Yeah. It's right. Been, That's established. Uh, well, well, it's, no sirens. No. That's the missing thing that's missing that, thing. that we we that's right. we don't know, but the conversation must have happened. It's when Bloom is sitting in the Ormond, you know, trying not to think about it, and then you know, actually, it's right before he runs into Boylan. Remember, right in the next episode, he sees Boylan and says, "What's he doing here? Isn't he supposed to be with Molly now, or or thereabouts? Well, Maybe makes, he's forgotten." And this makes sense why he would have sent the basket too. Yeah. So he is showing up at four, not bodily yet, but his yeah. presence is there. It's keeping her on the line. Oh, he's a scoundrel. Um, next, we get uh, a bunch of uh, our, our boys we know, right? We get uh, Ned Lambert. Yeah, JJ Malloy, mm-hmm. um, right? And they're where are they? They're just St. Mary's out, Abbey. Right? It's a 10th century church, the oldest religious right. establishment in Dublin. Um, and only this part of it has survived from various fires, which has now been turned into a seed warehouse. I don't know anything about Ned Lambert other than perhaps yeah. he's maybe he's like hired as like a, you know, maybe he gets paid to take people on tours. You know, we don't we don't really know. So what is the purpose? I, I wasn't clear yeah. on why they're there. <laughs> well, because the guy Hugh C. Love is paying a visit. Like he seems like he's uh, paying a visit to Dublin. He's not from Dublin and he wants to see some sites in Dublin. Okay. Remember he wants to come back again and take pictures. Right. It's not explained. I mean, it's, 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 explained, it's one of those right? things okay. that you're just like the blind guy tapping his way through Dublin. We're suddenly thrown in Ned Lambert's leading a tour of one man. But, in, and you know, UC Love is not here yet. Yeah. He's, he's the oh, guy he that's, is? we don't get, we don't get his name until Ned Lambert yeah. reads the card that was given to him. Afterwards. Yeah, this one was a very confusing one for me. <laughs> I uh, and we never find out why JJ Malloy is up there, but JJ Malloy, remember, was trying to touch Miles Crawford for some money. Right. Presumably, that's what. Remember, and and he was not successful. Remember, Crawford blows him off. Here, he literally gets blown off when. Well, Jack, what is it? What's the trouble? Wait a while. Hold hard, and then he starts sneezing. He can't stop sneezing. <laughs> I don't know. 
That was a weird one. Um, no, there's the, nothing weird about it. <laughs> <laughs> the next one has more uh, more of our friends, right? What are, what are, what are the discs? Tom so that's his invention. Uh, you're right. And remember, we remember invention? Bloom. So in, in Les Dragonians, remember when Bloom leaves the bar, it's just after Rochford has entered with a few others, and Bloom says, wonder if he ever is going to do anything with that invention of his. Right. And we have no idea what he's talking he's about. He's a bookie, right? He's a bookie. It's something to do with, it's a way to to know who has bet on something no. or not. I can't figure so it out. So it's, it's, at least this is the read on it. So in, in vaudeville plays, right, when you go to like a, like a restaurant or a bar cafe and there's performances going on, the only, you can't tell whose turn it is on the stage oh. based on the program. This will solve that. And so you walk in. It's, it's like a really useless invention, which I think is part of the idea. Uh, but so I walk into this bar and I, I look at, you know, Rochford's device. I see, oh, turn four. That's, you know, Dave. Dave's up there, you know, talking about birds as his act, you know, or, or whatnot. You know, or, you know, Joe's up singing his uh, striptease number. Wow. You know. <laughs> I thought it had something to do with gambling. I don't think so. I don't. Yeah, I don't. Maybe I'm completely off. <laughs> At least the way Gifford explains it, and others have explained it. I have a question though. So we we saw that first with Miss Dunn, right? She she uses her typewriter, and then you've got you know right after that where she says she doesn't want to read the Wilkie Collins book. We have the disc shot down the groove, wobbled a while, ceased, and ogled them six. No idea what that is until you get to this part and you realize it's Rochford's invention. Why ogle though? Right? Why? Why are these? I- What's that? I, it's like an eye, I guess. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. All right. Ogling them, maybe. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> and then, right, I mean, we're still confused, and then we get lawyers of the past, haughty, pleading, beheld, pass from the consolidated. So we get another interruption right away, right yeah, before yeah, this yeah. one even really has started. Yeah. I, I love Lenahan, man. His language is always fun, right? Yeah, he, uh, he puns on, uh, you know... A blue o'clock in the morning and all this stuff. Um but his um, his recounting of his encounter with Molly, yeah. it's, it's kind of fun. I don't know how, how much we're supposed to believe of it, though, right? Are we always supposed to question Lenahan and his yeah. nonsense? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, if we take him at his word, he rode on the same side as an out car with Molly. Well, Bloom is looking at the Bloom stars. Bloom is looking at the stars. So, at the very least, just being bounced around with a shapely woman next to him has given him an erection. That much I totally right. can believe. Yeah. Yeah. But his, so, his idea that she's like a willing participant and yeah. flirting with him, I think but is... But given what we have learned from Molly, maybe. I don't think there's any reason not to believe it. I just love how it ties in because we've already seen Bloom's interest in astronomy. We've already seen the very book mentioned that McCoy talks about him buying... Right, so it's, it's it ties in nicely, and then later when we finally see Bloom's library towards the very end of the novel, sure enough, that book is actually in there. I, I get a sense that Joyce is playing with Molly's promiscuity, like you know this idea that everyone's got a story, everyone's got a thought about it, but we've never really seen any of it as a reader, right? You will. You will, I guess. So. <laughs> you will. Yeah. yeah. There's a reason why this book was banned. I mean, Penelope is you know it's it's very graphic in oh, the opinion. Cool. <laughs> well, by today's standards, I, I guess it's still pretty graphic, but I don't know. But what we see in that section is somebody saying something very nice about Bloom, though. Right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, McCoy. yeah. Yeah. McCoy. The fact that it's, uh, or I don't know. I don't know that it's McCoy. I think it's Lenahan, right? Wait, so he's a culture. No. I'm, I'm oh, weak, he gasped, right? And then he, well, no, he glanced sideways in the sunlight at McCoy, 
So your last subject is Lenahan. That's why I take it as, uh, although, I don't know. He's a cultured all-around man, Bloom is. He said seriously. He's not one of your common or garden, you know. There's a touch of artist about old Bloom. That's got to be McCoy. That's not, that yeah, doesn't sound like Lenahan. Lenahan. Yeah, all right. Right, Lenahan doesn't speak as that plainly. Yeah. Right? And we've already seen Bloom and McCoy, and McCoy seems to... Have a you know, respect or something. Yeah, respect him. All right, I'll, I'll buy that. Yeah. But I like the fact that this this is the one read on Bloom, or at least the one read on somebody who is an artist of the main characters who that's not read, that's not ironic. When people talk of Stephen yeah, as the bard, it's always ironic. Oh, it's, that's interesting. Yeah. When Stephen thinks of other artists, you know, on his milieu, it's with this, you know, disdain or irony or a competition. Here you actually, actually, I like this actually as McCoy better than Lenahan. You're right because yeah. McCoy has already kind of tried to commiserate unsuccessfully with Bloom and Lotus Eaters. And we've talked about him as a kind of mirror doppelganger yeah, yeah. as well. But it's funny because we've talked about Bloom as an artist himself, right? Yeah. Bloom as a, like a creator who's more fecund than even Steven is, right? And what he creates. Yeah. It's nice to see that here. And then, of course, that sets us up for Bloom. Bloom right here. Right here, dead yeah. center in the center of the whole. I like, th- I like that transition. That they had. What's that? Well, oh, oh, yeah. When he's right. talking about Bloom, and then all of a sudden Bloom shows up, you're like, Damn, it's, it's so good. It's great that you know he's well rounded. He, there's a touch of the artist. He's pouring over. Pouring. You know, pour. <laughs> I mean, granted, <laughs> it's all for Molly. It's always for Molly. Well, right? kind of. I do like you know um, when he's reading the first one. He's like, oh, this is it. This is the one. The end. You are late. He spoke coarsely, right? And he can't put it down. Is that it, or is, I, 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 thought that I, I thought that that's how it? The, the, I thought he turned to the end, and that's the end. Of oh, it. you think so? I don't know. Oh no, no, no. He's saying the end. I think. I think basically he's like it's for her and all that. But he loves Don, it, too. but he just can't stop. He can't stop reading. By the way, the, this of everything that's mentioned is real. But oh, for the, the sweets of sin, like nobody can play. So that's got to be Joyce's creation. For think, and think of how much fun it would be to write this stuff. <laughs> the sweets of sin. Yeah, the other ones are real, right? Um, and, yeah, everything else can be traced. Even the because the, the Aristotle threw me off, but it's it's apparently pseudo Aristotle. It's not real Aristotle, and it was basically like the equivalent of I guess the joy of sex in the 1960s and 70s. But super <laughs> biological. Around. People were getting off looking at fetuses <laughs> developing in wombs. <laughs> and um, Leopold von uh, Secker Marot. Yeah. That's uh, that's Venus we, and Furs, right? Is it? That's and, that's certainly where we get masochism from. Yeah, yeah. that's Venus yeah, and yeah, Furs. Yeah, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I which I read a while ago, but uh, but yeah, that makes a lot of sense. That that you know being and, a, a saucy man. I, I mean, this is partly the printing on the page, but when he was talking, about Mr. Bloom alone looked at the titles. Fair Tyrants by James Lovebirch. <laughs> Not James Joyce. James Lovebirch. Oh, wait, know, wait, like, why does it matter on the page? Well, because the, it breaks after James. You know, every time you see James, we've said his name so many times. Yeah, you, know, you, almost, you almost would imagine you'd see Joyce coming after that. But no, it's some ridiculous name like Lovebirch. So, I mean, he is, right, Bloom is not interacting with anybody. Is that right? Well, no, except, except, for, for, except the, for the bookseller. The bookseller, right? He seems to be. I think for the most part, this is about people interacting and being outward, right? And him and Stephen, until you get to him, until Dilly catches up to him, right? Are internal. Kernan. See, that's the only thing that throws it off. Tom Kernan is, you know, reliving the conversation that he had when he was right. trying to sell tea. That's. 
that's all in his head. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think there might be a couple. I don't know, I'm just trying to get, um, I don't I mean, know. Bl- Bloom is definitely alone here, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. alone, successfully navigating these wandering rocks. Oh, right. And a lot of this language um, from the book that he reads, where he shows up in other places. Oh, my goodness, it becomes does. a refrain. You know, yeah. felt his hands felt for the opulent. Yeah, you know, so many times it shows up right. in fragments. Yeah. I love that, that paragraph. Warmth showered gently over him, cowing his flesh. Flesh yielded amid rumpled clothes. Whites of eyes swooning up. His nostrils arched themselves for prey. Melting breast ointments for him, for Raoul. Armpits oniony, <laughs> oniony sweat. Fish gluey slime for her heaving embonpoint. Feel, press, crush, sulfur, dung of lions. <laughs> sulfur, dung of lions. So are we supposed to understand that's Bloom's thoughts? <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I think so too, right? I think it's just capturing him like swooning when reading this. And then uh, he he has to master his troubled breath when uh, the shopman comes back <laughs> out. He's really, uh, he, he can't put it. it down. Is he, he masturbating? It. No. No, no. <laughs> Not yet. That, that's, that's later. Not yet. <laughs> I know you talked of it. But so this is like him reading the text, his mind kind of like spinning out of control, getting excited, right? Um I get, I get that has to be it, right? It's just kind of the strange thoughts that. Well, strange to you, but you're. Uh, well, I don't know. You're squirming. You're, you're so parochial. <laughs> well, all right. Next is the auction room, which we, we basically covered, yeah. right? Um, I love Barang. Barang. That's a great, yeah, name. great word. Um, Dilly, Dilly is um, interested in Simon's reputation. To a certain extent, too. Yeah, right? people are staring. Like yeah, starts imitating her. I mean, that that made me think of um, you know Stephen Portrait One. You know, talking about uh, you know his father being a gentleman and things like that. We have we have come quite a a long way since then. All these little indicators, I think. And then we get um, Mr. Yeah, uh, yeah. This is the uh, the Kiernan. Yep. Right. Yeah. Oh, by the way, a couple ago we 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 uh, had a mention of Bartel Darcy too. Yeah. Right. All these Dubliners coming back. Yeah. Right. We never see him. I don't think again. But he was. Just I don't think we him. ever actually see him in Ulysses, yeah. but he's he's mentioned frequently. Yeah. But uh, Bob Kiernan here, right? Yeah. This, Tom. Tom Kiernan. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, Tom Kiernan. This is the he's recounting this, right? Yeah. It's the guy from Grace. The guy that yeah, yeah. Like falling down the stairs. Yeah. And. Um, uh, yeah, this this was hard to follow. I had to take a couple passes at it, right? Yeah, I think he's he's thinking of a successful. He's a salesman, right? He's very proud of the cast off clothes that he's wearing, right? And he thinks that uh, that's what does it. That's how you impress people, right? He refers to himself as a knight of the road, a gentleman, and then he goes back and thinks through history yeah, of previous right. gentlemen. Oh, right, based I, on where he's walking. I know why you think it's Bob, because Simon gets his name wrong. Right? No, no, Simon says, hello, that's, Bob. That's another man. interruption, though. That's from a different... See, that's that's what's so confusing. That's, oh, wait, uh, it is? Yeah, at, on page 239, he, Simon's not in this. That's an interruption. Hello, Simon, Father Cowley said. How are things? Uh, hello, Bob, old man, Mr. Dedalus answered, stopping. That's referring to right. another section. That's section 14. Look how section 14 begins. Yeah, begins hello, over. Simon, Father Cowley said. How are things? Hello, Bob, old man. Oh, uh, yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, that's one of those off. simultaneous interruptions. It worked. Simultaneous <laughs> interruptions, but... Yeah, you know what I mean. Um, I do in this section. I do like the uh, 
the fun little uh, critique of America. I guess it, it's a critique of America, more of Ireland, right? He says, uh, uh, where is it now? It's page 239 towards the bottom where they're talking about graft. Yeah, what was the, what was the reason for the yeah. you know, that awful fire on the General Slocum? It's because, and it's a true story. I mean, they didn't, you know, they got past regulations. They didn't replace the fire hoses that had all rotten. So palm oil, you know, which is slang for graft. Yeah. And then so, just it's it's so disoriented, though, because, you know, with the Father Conmy, right, Dave, you commented, like, is he having a conversation with himself? Is it in his thoughts? Here, it's he's having a conversation, but it's clearly a remembered conversation as yeah, he's right. walking. Yeah. Right. And even the, the, the critique of America, one wonders, is he just saying that because he wants to make his sale and he's trying to That's make conversation? America, what is it? The sweepings of every country, including our own. Isn't that true? That's a fact, right? That's, that's dialogue back and forth, that that's a fact, right? That's him, right? Well, but, it's well, dialogue that happened in the past. It, right, He's walking past. by himself. Yeah, yeah there are no, no dialogue no. tags. There's no uh, hyphen. But I thought that was him saying it in the past. Presumably, so, yeah. having his own yeah, conversation, yeah. right? That's all I'm saying. Um, we talked about, you know, the when we talked about Dublin's, a lot about the people that are left behind that feel a kind of, uh, resentment about the people going to America. You know, that's what this reminded me of. You know, that idea that, like, they got out, I'm left behind. You think Evelyn, you think, you know, a couple other ones, uh, Little Cloud, they don't go to America, but same kind of idea. It's, um, this is an interesting kind of converse point of view, yeah. which is... Oh, they take all the trash. Oh, they take the trash. Yeah. You know, not the bold, you know, that, that go off to yeah. start new lives, you know. That's a different angle on the voice of that resentment, which is interesting. And this is, we also get uh, the throwaway again here, right? Uh, yes, we do. The, uh, yeah. the crumpled throwaway Elijah is coming. And this is, time, notice it's sailing, time, right? but it's sailing westward this time. Right. It's going east. Uh, you would think it ultimately wants to go. It, it appears east. three times. First, we see it, it's going east. Second time, possibly because it's in the wash of a ferry, right? Rocked on the ferry wash. Maybe it's blown back. So you think, uh-oh, right. it's not going to successfully navigate those rocks. <laughs> when we last see it, it's going east and it's out. Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. Three Another, times. Each time it's mentioned eastward, yeah. westward, eastward. Because I remember reading that, like, wait, the Liffey flows east, but it's an estuary. So, you know, it could be the tide as well. But ultimately, it does make it out. Also, though, this, this is, you know, a nice link to Hades. Remember, they're making fun of Tom Kiernan when they're in the carriage because of Tom Kiernan's high praise for Ben Dollard singing The Crappie Boy. Mm. Yeah. And here, what does he think? He starts thinking of, you know, those old times, the revolution of 1798, and then starts thinking about Ben Dollard again and The Crappie Boy. And then a huge section of Sirens, or at least a section, big section at the end, is Ben Dollard singing the crappie boy. So it's kind of mm. preparation in that sense. Yeah. And even the wording, like if you remember, you know, when uh, Jack Power is making fun of Kernan, he talks about Kernan's talking about, you know, the retrospective arrangement. Sure enough, what does Kernan say? You know, times of troubles. Must add Ned Lambert to lend me those reminiscences of Sir Jonah Barrington. When you look back on it all now in a kind of retrospective, arrange, retrospective arrangement, like you get the vocal ticks of each character. You know, without even yeah. realizing it, but like it makes him a living, breathing character. That's what I meant about just how disorienting it is. You get into Kernan's head, and then all of a sudden, Stephen Dedalus walks through the webbed window. The lapidary's fingers prove the time dull, a time dull chain. Dust webbed the window. Like we're back in Stephen's head. It's a shock. It, yeah, it is. Right, strangely shocking and comfortable and dark. Right, all these things. This is pretty dark, though. 
right? Th- right. This is this is pretty bleak, Stephen. Um, sound a little bit like Proteus, I think. Just playing with ideas. But yeah, I, I was really taking... This is one of the ones that I stumbled over because yeah. no one really explains it, but uh, you get that old Russell with a smeared right. chamois rag burnished again. You're thinking, is he really looking in a jeweler's window or is he observing some sort of occult meeting that A.E., you know, George was, Russell, was, is, is holding, right? Yeah, that's what I thought. I thought... See, I even thought it was just his kind of like imagination playing with because remember Russell left because he had his meeting right his theosophy meeting yeah I think that's it he's picturing what's happening but it's not it's Thomas Russell lapidary (laughs) and gem cutter he really is looking in a jeweler's window how do you know this because you look it up you you gotta do your homework man uh, that's not in this text though no no it's 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 a giver he's a real guy yeah yeah. alright so So, I'm okay with thinking what I think man no no totally (laughs) but what I'm saying is you know it's it's another ruse Stephen no, no, Stephen goes from looking at the gemstones to to yeah. you know the real guy is Russell, but of course he's thinking of this esoteric stuff, right? Even down to the beard, because when uh, Skill and Cribbis, each time Russell was mentioned, he was mentioned less having a face and more having a beard. So you get this Russell, you know, held it at the point of his Moses beard. Yeah, you know, it's a conflation of ideas, but once again, it's it's a ruse. You know, it's a real Russell. Yeah. Um. His books are interesting, right? The books he's the the Irish Beekeeper, the Life of Miracles of uh, Curie of Ours, Pocket Guide to Killarney. <laughs> like he just what is he doing? They just flip it through what's there, flipping, right? Yeah, I mean it's very different than than Bloom's selections. I like the juxtaposition of where he says, I might find here one of my pawn school prizes, right, Stefano yeah. Dedalo, Lumno Optimo, Palm Monferenti, and then immediately. Father Conmee, having read his little hours, walked through the hamlet of Donicari, murmuring vespers, because immediately connects you to Stephen as the right. student winning those prizes. Yeah. Oh, that's really good. Um, then we meet Dilly. We get this, you know, I think very harrowing, <laughs> uh, you know, exchange. Well, it, it's weird. It's it's kind of lovely in some ways and just heartbreaking in others. Well, you know? that image of them like lying in bed like late night and he's telling her about Paris. Yeah, feeding the fire with broken boots. Yeah. Like they don't only have money. They don't even have money for coal. They're using just like trash and cast off clothes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it ends with, I like, we, Agenbite of Inwit, Inwit's Agenbite, misery. Misery. So, so why does he do that? He makes a chiasmus because that's what he does. Like in his head, he just plays with words in order to make himself feel better. Maybe I don't know. I mean, it's it's a bigger question I've been wondering about. <laughs> what is like what is the purpose of chiasmus? Generally speaking, you know, I think it's a cute trick, but I'm not sure what it does. It's, I think it should suggest a, a, a circular idea. That so in this case, it comes around. There's so, a, or you're holding a mirror up to something. Yeah, that too. There's numerous things, right? I think Dave's, Dave's point probably I, I is like the most point. trenchant. The idea, you know, it's, it's like a, a circle, right? Like you can't get out of it. You know, he's stuck. It's per- It's a kind of paralysis. Yeah. Okay. And that makes complete off, sense. Often it's used for a comparison and contrast, yeah. right? By like Thompson holding up a mirror. But I don't think that's the point here. I, I don't think it's just mere wordplay. I think, I think it really it's, is. It's just also kind of, a passing on, right? What Stephen did is somehow infiltrating Dilly's existence. She's kind of receiving that. So what, but it gets received in a different way. You, you don't necessarily take how people view and think the same exact way. It gets kind of flipped around. And, and also, it's, it's not just an issue of he can't save her. It's also that fear that she's going to drag him down, just right, like his mother, right? right? It's the same thing. So right. 
I think just that play, it's like they're linked. Like, Agenbite of Inwit, Inwit's Agenbite links it together, and there's just no way out. He's Well, I, I think that's right. You can change the grammatical structure, but the reality remains the same. It's almost like he's desperately trying to change reality by changing the expression of the idea. Sure. I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. But the misery, misery at the end. Oh, bro. I, I also like the, the, the mirroring effect that Tom brought up. No, too, I do too. Because, yeah, I you, do too. you know, when you're living in such a paltry existence, you don't want to have to look at yourself and, and see everything that's happening. That just kind of gets thrown back to you. Yeah. And then what's the next uh, next passage is Simon, right? Hello, here these, Simon. Here these two kids are, yeah. you know, communing Stephen in his misery. Who knows what Dilly's thoughts are, but presumably they're not much different, right? Except for perhaps her naive aspirations to, you know, enlighten herself and maybe, as you said, Dave, make a break for it. Yeah. And then we're back to Simon hanging out with the boys. You know, got this Father Cowley who doesn't seem much of a priest, though he's still called Father Cowley. Yeah. How are right? things? <laughs> and, and, well, and of course, everyone's in debt. Everyone's trying to run from the, uh, the bailiffs trying to kick him out, like, of his own house because right. he apparently owes money to our Reuben J. Dodd, who we already met in Hades. Like, yeah. Hades is coming back, you know. So I, I thought of um, Ivy Day, right? He seems like that priest... That shows up in Ivy Day that seems yeah. to be kind of not affiliated with anybody, yeah. but people kind of know him. Or like a Father Flynn who right. know, has some sort of uh, dark past yeah. that we don't know about. Just one of these strange characters. Yeah. That has so something people, to do with religion. People have noticed that uh, the fact that he's got a mustache means he can't be a priest because priests would customarily shave. So he, he, Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the fact that nobody calls him Father, right? We call him, The narrator calls him Father, but he's just Bob. <laughs> mm. um, what is... What so at the end, right, when we get um uh Ben Dollard over here, right? There he's gonna be thrown out. What can Ben Dollard do for him? I don't know that it's ever clear, yeah, other I'm than Ben sure. has some connection with uh, the sub sheriff Long John Fanning, <laughs> right? And he's gonna go speak to Long John Fanning to take care of it. But then we don't meet Long John Fanning until it is Martin Cunningham with the boys Which trying to get money for Dignum. Right, that's next. So there's something, I mean, some some connection. Again, just like meeting Ned Lambert in, you know, St. Mary's Abbey, we don't know why he seems like a tour guide suddenly. Yeah. There's no explanation for it. And we don't know enough about Ben Dollar to know if he's full of shit or not, if he's somebody that's kind of just <laughs> All we, I telling mean, we, him what he wants to hear. We've met him before when... Uh, when Bloom was thinking of Molly's witticism of calling him bass barrel tone, right? That's all we know about him, that he's, <laughs> he's got a bass voice, and sure enough, he and, tries And trousers, right? And those yeah. big trousers, yeah. <laughs> I, I do love uh, Simon getting the, the last pun of the section. You can tell Barabbas from me, Ben Dollard said, that he can put the writ where Jacko puts the nuts. He led Father Cowley uh, boldly forward, linked, linked to his bulk. Filberts, I believe they were. Nuts, right? Yeah. <laughs> He's referring to the nut. Like, what? Yeah. Is, it's ridiculous. Is but is it, is it a pun or is he just being more, uh, more like goofy in his I specificity? Mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> like, like I, I, thought, I thought it was just like, you know, it, it's almost saying like, I agree with you in this very weird specific yeah. way. Right? We get another one of his odd sayings, right? There he is, by God, he said, arson pockets. <laughs> what, what's that mean? <laughs> Well, well, because the pocket's what holds the money, right? Wasn't he trying maybe, to shake maybe, it down? Maybe, maybe, He's just an ass of pockets. Maybe. He's got money. <laughs> Do you get the sense that uh, Ben Dollard is also wearing cast-off clothes, right? Because they're, they're talking about his clothes, and how, it seems like there's, there's something that doesn't quite fit 
with him, right? Isn't that what they're giving him shit about? Yeah. I don't know. And he goes back at them. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like despite their curses at each other, they've got a pretty good rapport. And then they, they're hanging out to each other, like, hanging out with each other like buddies in the next episode. Yeah. Um, What's so? I, I'm conf- this is a passage I'm confused on. This one was confusing for me too. We have Martin Cunningham. We have no, no, but no, before we, before we even leave uh, Simon oh, oh. and uh, Bob and Ben, um, you know, the, the Hugh C. Love shows up. Mm-hmm. You know, right? The guy that was in the Abbey with uh, Ned Lambert and J.J. Malloy as being the landlord of uh, Bob Callie's place. Okay. I don't know, is there something to be made of that? Like, I, I, is he the guy that's trying to get him out? I mean, Ruben's trying to get him out because he owes money. I don't know. So yeah, I don't I know. Just, like, there's a definitely a connection there. I think it's another thing that just doesn't have explanation. Yeah. These are all just kind of dead ends, right? If you're going through the wandering rocks, you're going to hit all these dead ends. You have to double back. I, that got to be it, right? Yeah. I don't, yeah. All right, so. So now next, we're Martin Cunningham and. Uh, a bunch of guys we know, John Wise, Nolan. I don't think we've officially well, we met haven't him. Met him we've heard his name he's hanging out with Powers and these other guys. Um, we get um, uh, Jack Mooney's brother-in-law mentioned. Bob Doran. Who is Bob Doran, yeah. right? Um, and, and look where he's going. He's making for the Liberties, which is the slums. He's going to slum and get some good drinks. Yeah. Or uh, bad drinks. So... I don't know what, what what is even happening here. This well, is well, this is happens. about Dignam, right? Yeah, they're yeah. trying to get money. So the one thing that that we see is another positive accolade tossed in the direction of of Leopold. Right. That's the only. And this time it's Martin Cunningham, right? Yeah. Who? Well, they're all who, like John well, Wise. No yeah. one first notices right. that he's the one that put down money, and Cunningham, I think, notices. Yeah, and he actually gave the money. Right. Yeah. But Cunningham, we know, is his greatest fan. Yeah. From Hades, right? Mm-hmm. Um, he's the one that that has, has been kindest to him overall. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's nice. I mean, it is, refer- this might be the only place in the book where we do get positive visions of blue. Right. But it's always couched in this. Why? What's the only reason they're commenting on it? Like, surprised. cause he's, what's there? Cause he's Jewish, yeah, right? It's, right? It's not, I don't know. It's not like unalloyed kindness. You know, they're it's like the merchant the, of Dublin. Yeah. Right. I mean, with even the quote, like the, the obvious quote that, oh, of course he's, of course he's like Shylock, you know? So. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, I think McCoy's McCoy's comment on him and Nosy Flynn, the two people curiously that Bloom kind of gives the cold shoulder to, yeah. are the kindest things that people say Th- about. Does Bloom, Bloom have money? Right? Yeah, yeah, Bloom has some money. He's, he's not rich, but he's got. We I, find out later that he's he's yeah. he's I, set. Because you have to you have to think then that perhaps the compliments are getting tossed around with the hopes that maybe they make it back to Bloom. Right? Everyone here is looking for a handout. A lot of these people are looking to kind of meet up with somebody who's going to, you know, like a, like a Linehan type yeah. who, who's looking to try to find, um, who is his buddy in two gallons? Corley. Corley, you know? Yeah, he's, I don't know. He's always looking to shack up with someone. Um, it seems in these two cases, though, they don't have too much to gain. Yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? Um, I think it's just commentary. You know, they're yeah. just commenting on, on that guy that's, I don't know that they'd call him a friend, but certainly somebody that's part of their lives. Yeah. Right? The strange guy in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, next is Buck Mulligan and Haynes, uh, and this is it for Haynes. Do we see Haynes again? No, I don't think I so. I think this is it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Josh brought up before the idea that they have a conversation about Stephen. Yeah, I think this is. Present I for. think this is the first time this might that be you actually get people talking about Stephen without Stephen being Hades. present. Hades, when they talk, they, they right. See so him yeah, I have a note. I made a note to myself apart from Simon and Hades. That's it, though. Right? You've got Bloom kind of musing on him, but here they're actually talking about Stephen. 
his his art aspirations and and you know implications. Haynes thinks his his mind is unbalanced. You know, as he kind of makes the quip, you know, like he says, you know, Shakespeare is the happy hunting ground of all minds that have lost their balance, you know, equating him with all the, you know, the kind of out there, you know, biographical readings, interpretations of Shakespeare's art, like, for example, Skill and Charybdis. Right. I, I, so, so am I reading this right? Then next, right, we see the sailor walk by, England expects, Buck Mulligan's uh, primrose waistcoat shook gaily to his laughter. I get he's laughing at the, the oh it's a you fell for it see that's what that's what Tom and I were just talking about like, like a half hour ago that's not because Nelson Street is not where they are right right and so when you right. see that you should see him he said this is what I was saying because the first time I read that I was thinking the same thing because not only is he laughing but then you should see him he said when his body loses its balance. You initially think oh he's talking about the one legged sailor right. but then wandering Angus I call him well that's what he called him. Angus of the Birds in Skill and Cryptus. He's talking about Stephen. Once you get back to Haynes, you know he wrote the ID fix, right? That's he's no, definitely one, talking one, about Stephen. No, once you get to the wandering Angus, I call it. No, right. No, what I'm saying, there's still an ambiguity in there, right? That that Mulligan could be talking about the drunken sailor or something, yeah. right? Yeah, no, I get it. <laughs> Damn you, Joyce. That's good. <laughs> um, what else in here? Uh, and then we get this is the uh, Elijah crumple throwaway again at the end. Yeah. Right. And well, and also I, I like the quote, he can never be a poet. Remember yeah. Stephen had said right. this, you know, not the same thing. Remember he said, your cousin Stephen, you'll never be a saint, which is riffing on the Dryden to Swift, yeah. you know, cousin Swift, you'll never be a poet. But it's also again, reminding us, will Stephen ever be a poet? That's not, that doesn't seem to be his calling. Why does Mulligan think it's, it's, it's because this, uh, this notion of hell's been drummed in, drummed in his head. Why, why does he think that that's it? The thing that sort of spoils Cause he's so out? bleak. He's a bleak okay, motherfucker. So just, I think like the, yeah, this, Stephen this, is, Stephen is. Yeah. this goes back to Telemachus. This is the conversation yeah. he was having in Telemachus about let's, let's try to Hellenize the Irish. Right. You know, look, like Swinburne coming out to the sea, or a great mother. You know, he was talking about Swinburne back then, and now he's talking about Swinburne again. He says, he will never, like he said, we got to capture that attic note. I mean, he doesn't actually say that in Telemachus, but that was his, that's what he wanted to do. Be like Swinburne. Capture that, that, you know, what did it mean to be the Greek and the idea of freedom and creating new things? And he says, yeah, he's never going to be able to do that. Right. He, he's, he's, he he's stuck. He doesn't have the enthusiasm. He doesn't, yeah, yeah, the joy of creation. He doesn't know what it is. Right. He sees Stephen as uh, how we saw him in Chapter 3, a portrait or something. Yeah, or even or Chapter Brody's, 1. Right? Yeah, Proteus um, in yeah. Chapter 3, yeah. yeah. But I, I would say he sees Stephen as Stephen was in Telemachus. You know, just a gloomy, dour. And stuck in his head. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, he might be right the first, you know. right? I mean, we, we get access to Stephen's inner being. It makes him a lot more interesting. He seems like a real drag to, like, know. You yeah, know? On the outside, like, yeah. Yeah, he's, uh, he's dumb. And by the way, it just ca- casually introduced, you know, when uh, Jimi Henry, you know, was talking about the meeting at the, uh, you know, whatever, you know, counselor's meeting they had in the previous one. Remember, he characterized it as hell open to Christians they were having, Jimi Henry said pettishly about their damned Irish language. Hell Open to Christians is the title of the work Joyce based Section 3, A Portrait of the Artist, on. Oh. And so we had just had that mentioned here. If you know that, that paves the way for you know, the criticism of, look, if it, weren't for, if it weren't for that damn Jesuit training, you know, perhaps he could be an artist, but it's, you know, he can't. So you know, specifically when he says they drove his wits astray with visions of hell, yeah, it's Hell Open to the Christians. Hmm. 
Interesting. I like Haynes's cheerful cups. I love these transferred epithets. <laughs> he can find no trace of hell in ancient Irish myth, Haynes said amid the cheerful cups. So the last paragraph, right, the Elijah skiff, like crumble throwaway. Um, it, it's getting there, right? We're going past archipelagos of quirks and, you know, Eastward again. Eastward. Uh, the, the three mass schooners, does that have anything to do with the end of Proteus? Yeah, that is it. Yeah, that's we it. Find right? out that, we find out in Eumaeus right. that that's, that's, remember, the, the sailor so. in Eumaeus is from that ship. Right. So I think that might help us kind of understand what Stephen's thinking at the end of Proteus, right? I mean, we talked about it. I thought it was, it was escape. It was kind of moving past and out, I believe. But no, it's moving in. What's that? That's, no, no, that he could. That, that's yeah. the way out. Past those boats, okay. right? Yeah. Onto the open sea. And I I think this is good evidence towards that, that that's where the throwaway Elijah's coming, you know, is is going, and that seems to be escape, mm-hmm. right? Well, all the Dubliners are stuck. That's moving out. That's what Stephen that is thinking. Stephen but maybe and Bloom even know. seem to be the only ones that escape. Perhaps. Perhaps they do. But we know the throwaway does. In the, right. Right. Sure. I mean, it's, and and what is the throwaway? The throwaway is the only one that has no actual attempt at deliberation. It's the only thing that's yeah. purely mechanical. That's the other thing we haven't talked about. The technique of this is you know mechanics, mechanism. Everything seems like it's moving about like cogs, right? But you know, we all suffer the delusion to think that we have you know our deliberation and will to do things. When, in fact, maybe we should all just be like this throwaway on the tide that's just letting the tide carry us out. Well, the throwaway was set forth by Bloom, though. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So is there a way that we can connect that and say that Bloom then can save Stephen? No. No, I'm Uh, I'm joking. uh, No, there's something interesting there, right? The the throwaway actually did have a genesis in Bloom's agency. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then once it's cast on the tides, it's, you know, it kind of just carries itself out. I see, that's positive thinking when towards Ithaca, yeah. you know, at the end of Ithaca, that that might be... It's inevitable. That, that, a, a positive read on where Stephen's going. Yeah, I like it. All right, what we got? <laughs> Almost there. Uh, number 17. Uh, it's another Cash one really Boyle, short O'Connor, it's uh, Morris Tisdale Farrell, who we heard of before, yeah. right? Lashergonians, Um and yeah, this is just a quick one, right? He's uh, he's walking what in front of Bloom or behind him? No, there's no Bloom. Oh no, there. it's Bloom's dental window. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's that, that this chapter. In. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, what, what do we make of him? Is there anything to... Nothing. I don't think he so. bumps into the blind guy. He's, uh, he's more that's Dublin it, right? street furniture, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. I love that he finally speaks and he says, Galactus Wallowy, having been forced, I wanted. And when you look that up, people think that might be a fragment from Justinian's Law Digest of 533. Of course. You know, like, like, I'm not sure what we're supposed to make of that. So if you, if you view the first 18, right, without the last one as, mm-hmm. as kind of their own system... Then the corny, uh, the corny Keller and and his are mirror images because they're both very short. Because they're both short, they both really have you know kind of mild connections to people that we really care about, if at all. You know, I don't know. It's just a little bit of more mirror play, maybe. And then 
We have 18, which I think is very important. That's the Master Dignum mm-hmm. um, section, which we talked about a bit. But, you know, uh, harrowing stuff, you know, his kind of, his thoughts about the father and all that. I mean, you know, I, I thought it, it's, you know, just begging to be compared to Stephen and, and Simon and that relationship. Is this our youngest character that we've come across, let alone somebody that we've hmm. kind of sort of been in their head? Maybe, um... Maybe the the Daedalus siblings. That's the only yeah, one I can think of. Yeah, we don't get in their heads. They don't get in their heads. Yeah, yeah, probably. Probably. So I think the answer is yeah. Yeah, I think so. But he's a kind of Stephen surrogate, right? Or something like that. I don't know. How old is Dilly? I don't know. I don't think we know any of their ages, yeah. right? Dilly seems to be older than the others. You know, she seems to be taking on the kind of family responsibility to a certain extent. But I don't know. But yeah, this is, um, I mean, I, I do think this is very smart of Joyce. You know, it does, it's not just about the kind of jury thoughts about the death of the father. There's also this kind of, you know, he wants, what does he want to go to? A wrestling match? Boxing match. Boxing match, right? And it's, you know, it's not just a kid in mourning. It's a kid being a kid as well. It's yeah. like the honesty of, you know, not feeling 100%, you know, gloom, remorse. And also just kind of the, the little bit of you know, celebrity that mourning gives you too. Like when sure. he sees the right. other school kids, first thing, oh, I'm not going to school. Oh, I wonder if they know I'm in mourning. Oh, right. we'll be in the paper. Like, and it's, as soon as he sees that, then he starts to think about like, well, what does, what does it really mean? Yeah, I think that's you know? there, but I also think there might be a kind of like a hesitancy. Like he might not want this attention too. It's a little bit ambiguous, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know, but I think I think that's it. It captures all of these, you know, really, um, I think, clashing emotions in the face yeah. of this, you know, horrible event in his life. And like, you really get a sense of just how difficult life would be with this guy, you know, almost like a mirror image, like you were saying, of Simon and, and the Daedalus family. Yeah, yeah. You know, this this image that he's already completely soused. You know, the, the last night Paul was boozed, he was standing on yeah. the landing there, bawling out for his boots to go onto Tunney's for to booze more right. and looked buddy in short in his shirt. Never see him again. You know, like, like that, just that idea that on the very last night he was doing it. You know, we don't get this with uh, Hades. Not that there was a glowing tribute to him in Hades, but you, you don't get the backstory. You get the sense that he was a boozer, right? The right. description of his face always red and whatnot. Everyone's speaking well of the dead, yeah. you know, but... It's he, like, he sounded like Farrington. <laughs> Maybe not that bad. Yeah, yeah. But, but, you but, know, but no, I think he does. He does. Like one could imagine that, that that you know, without the with the abuse taken away. Yeah. 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 And, um, and you could almost imagine with the way that up the the strict upbringing was of a Dubliner that even after Farrington died, his kid would probably speak of him perhaps in some ways like this, yeah. right? You know. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Uh, with so sort you, of reverence. So if if. Let's say Simon dies, you know, in similar to when, you know, Dignum dies. Do, what is Stephen, you know? No, I didn't get a feel, feel that Stephen would. Maybe See, I don't know. Siblings. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'm always interested in the idea of, like, a death of somebody when you're young kind of freezes that person in your life in a way that, you know, I think is it right? Like, of, uh, the death of a, a friend when you're young... That person's always your friend then. You know, when yeah. most friendships actually kind of grow out and you move on, you know, um, it, it, it kind of 
kind of solidifies yeah. relationships in this weird way. And I think it, it changes the nature of how you see that person. I think it simplifies because you don't know as much, right? It I think simplifies so. your relationship so it's easy to look at it for a very surface value. So my point is, you know, Stephen has, what, a decade more than, than Master Dignam does of... Or maybe even more. Maybe more of getting to know his father and seeing, you know, the kind of disrepair that his life falls into. Who's to say that's not what Dignam would have become? Or that Simon sure. right. dying early might have, you know, been... Uh, made him laudatory in Stephen's eyes. Because he was actually an early portrait, right? You know, Absolutely. Simon was yeah. a little bit more of a, that figure. Early on, definitely. Early on, yeah. You know? Um, I, I think Joyce might be playing with these ideas, you know? Sure. Uh, through that parallel. I don't know. Yo, when this kid notices a dude with a red flower in his mouth, is that boiling? Yeah, uh, yeah that's boiling. <laughs> and it's, it's Bob Doran with him, too, the drunk. Oh, it is? Yeah, of course. Oh, Right, in Grafton Street, and that's where he bought the yeah. fruit, Master Dignam saw a red flower in a toff's mouth. I love how even the language that he's using is the kid's language, right? Like everything is blooming this, blooming that. In a toff's mouth and a swell pair of kicks on him, and he listening to what the drunk was telling him and grinning all the time. The drunk's Bob Doran. Yeah. And why does he say no Sandy Mount Tram? Because that's where he's going back home, and I guess he's going to have to walk in. Got it. Yeah. All right, which brings us to our last... Wait, can we just Set say short? one thing? Uh, two little details that are one little detail yeah. that pops up twice, literally pops up. I love that his collar keeps popping up. Yeah, this, yeah. And how, you know, it pops up when, again. when we get to the, yeah. the viceregal cavalcade, like all the various kinds of salutes and non-salutes are so funny. Yeah, it's pretty good. I love the, uh, the Hellies guys salute. Yeah. Uh, H halted and four tall hatted white flagons halted behind him. H E L Y apostrophe yes. I think that's the last we see of them, right? Is it, maybe. I think so. They get mentioned, I think. I like how the, the, the river, the Pottle River hung in, out in fealty, a tongue of liquid sewage. Yeah. Over on page two. And uh, am I wrong, but not only everybody we met, except for Stephen and Boom, but also people that were mentioned that we didn't see yeah. dramatized. Well, Gertie McDowell. Right, a couple Who's going to be the star of Nausicaa. Right, yeah. Uh, there's a couple other people here. Um, we, we don't get everybody. Like, we don't get Miss Dunn, you know, presumably because she's still in the right. office. Yeah, that makes sense. Oh, uh, yeah, you're right. I thought it was literally everybody else. Do you, do you ever get a sense with this last part that Joyce is is too cleanly putting it all together for us mm. when he when he could have like, like a left big massive out? roll call? Yeah, I, I I kind of felt um, I don't I don't know how I felt. I mean, I, I could perhaps. Maybe, like, be sold on um, the complexity You can't of it. get the juxtaposition of Stephen and Bloom without this, though. Yeah. Right? I mean, right. The, the, I think the main purpose of this is to show that they're separate. Right. But but also, yeah, I think so. And also, I think it... it I, I really do like the beginning and end of Conmi and the I various like people too. saluting Conmi and ending with this because the sensibility is so different. We never get into their heads, but you almost see Dublin as a personality camera has finally pulled out you know i i keep thinking of the movie wings of desire when thinking of this episode right i know it's vastly different but that just that idea of like popping in to people's consciousness and and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's a moment in wings of desire where the angels are suddenly just all mm -hmm. out watching the city and the over city berlin. Yeah, yeah over berlin, berlin. and, and all you shattered. can hear is just this buzz all over the place and that's that's what happens here 
right? We pull out, but we're getting it from an imperialist, you know, this imperialist motion that's moving through. We haven't even talked about the symbolism of the two banks of the Bosphorus, which supposedly yeah. Joyce had in mind. You know, if we believe the Symplegades can be placed, geom- you know, geog- geographically speaking, it's the straits that lead from the Aegean Sea into the Black Sea. And so one bank, you know, the church, one bank, the state, we get the bookends there, and now we're on the other bank. You know, we're getting that other perspective here. Yeah, I, don't, I, I like it. I don't think. No, it, I, I think. I, I think yeah. it's not too neat. I think it's yeah. it's actually really, really nicely done. And I mean, if we're gonna do this kind of individualistic portrait of Dublin, why not give a collective one at the end? Why yeah. not just like? Uh, well, well, I, you, I guess it almost seemed like when Thompson roll call, it almost seemed like almost lighthearted in some ways. Like you, you kind of get away from the personal uh, kind of chaotic mess that we just read through which I liked, you know, I felt like it showed Dublin being messy. And then this, of course, kind of being a kind of neat, like caricature of all these people. But I guess perhaps that's in, you know, by design. Well, I think the caricature is of the the actual procession. Yeah. You know, it's supposed to be this grand thing. And some people are giving nominal respect to it. But the vast majority of the people are either not noticing it and are, you know, like, for example, right on the first page of it, you get this description um, you know, after Tom Kiernan tries to greet it, but remember, he, he doesn't yeah. in time. And then between Queens and Whiteworth Bridges, Lord Dudley's vice regal carriages passed and were unsaluted by Mr. Dudley White, you know, another Dudley Dudley, BLMA, who stood on Aaron Key outside Mrs. M.E. White's, the pawnbrokers at the corner of Aaron Street West, stroking his nose. So all this is going on while the cavalcade is going by. And we get like a whole paragraph on this guy trying to decide, you know, what's the best way I can get to this to show just how indifferent, how most of the people yeah. just don't give a shit about this <laughs> you know, procession going through. Yeah. Yeah. Ultimately, though, right, I, I, think the, I think the more important aspect are the people that do, right, because those gestures are empty mm-hmm. or they're more about kind of, you know, the, the weird novel thing that's happening than any kind of some of them real don't even, nationalist. The two Frauen Zimmer from uh, Proteus who've come back from the beach, yeah, they think yeah. it's the mayor and they don't even know who it is. Yeah. So the Queen Victoria reference at the end, do you think it's like making a nod to like, it was a period a long time ago where, where perhaps this veneration and respect existed but now it's set sail and it's long gone and we're, we're maybe we are, right maybe we are partially ready for to cut the umbilical cord yeah yeah and, and it, it set more, sail like that elijah reference the ship yeah and i mean it could be just also this may be a little more broad and lofty but a kind of nod to the new modernism and yeah. you know you know kind of Finding the traditional hierarchy kind of passe. Yeah, I mean, effective. Get that nod to Queen Victoria, and it ends with uh, you know Almadonna Artifani's ass. Right. Boom. Yeah, it's almost like the fart that ends sirens. That ends sirens. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I was thinking that. Um, Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know. I think it's. I think it's playful. You know, Mm. I I like this chapter because of its playfulness more than anything else. Mm. You know, it's. A fun puzzle, you know, I guess. Um, but yeah, no, and, and there's certainly more puzzles to come, right? That's the idea. This is going to be a kind of light way to get into the second half of the book. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, Sirens is fun, but it gets darker from there a bit until you get to Oxen and the Sun and Cersei, I think. I don't Sirens know. is next? Sirens is next. All right.
Very good silence. Yes. All right, we'll see everyone next time. See you.